What's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to the Different Spokes podcast. My name is Matt Smith. Today's guest is Dave Rafa. He's a New Jersey native who now lives in Rochester, New York. He owns and operates a skate park called Breaking Free. And uh, he's a, a BMX rider turned entrepreneur, if you ask me. Um, we have a long history. We uh, I used to live up, live up in Rochester, and we rode a bunch. Um, Dave's a good dude. And he's been through a lot, and uh, he's got a, a good perseverance through it all. And it's something I wanted to uh, share with everybody else. Here you go. Thanks. Different spokes. How you been? Good, man. It's been a long time since uh, the Grindworks Jam. Oh, shit, yeah. That was a good-ass jam. Yeah, I like those. I just found a, another a new setting on well, the setting was already always there, but on my HPX, I was reading about the different photo settings and how it collects the information and found out, like, I could fit twice, more than twice as much stuff on the card by shooting in, uh, they call it, um, it's like 720, it's like 720-60, right, P? And then there's 720-30 P? Then they had, then they had 720-30PN? which is progressive native, which is like a proprietary one that Panasonic does. So like when you, when you shoot 60 frames, it takes 60 frames. When you shoot 30 frames, it takes 60 frames, but only shows you 30. So it's still using up that um, information yeah. on the that space on the card. But then when you shoot 30 native, it actually only takes the 30 frames. So it uses half as much space. Wow. I'm, I'm, that's all P2 on that card. It's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But like I'm exporting. I just sat down with Blaze for almost an hour, and it's exporting in like 15 minutes versus before it would have been like 20 minutes for a video a third of the length. You know what happened? I don't know, but I just tried calling you with my other phone, and it, it seems like it's working a lot better. <laughs> You're like what? Uh-huh. You're way clear and like the movements are way smoother. Uh, I turned off my Wi-Fi. Kind of sucks at home, so I just I'm just on phone data now. Oh shit! You can do that. Yes. Wow. You're not gonna run up your minutes shooting this shit with me. Uh, I have 12 gigs, so. Should be playing. Yeah, I have the. Well, skate park pays my phone bill anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Um. I listened to your podcast about the the sign-in sheet. That was kind of cool to hear you go through the stats. Yeah. Breaking everything down. It's pretty crazy. A lot of that stuff I'm in touch with because I'm, I'm at the counter every day anyway, so I pretty much know. But it's usually useful for the insurance stuff. And if the business grows to the point where I'm not there every day, those sort of analytics would be really important, like really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, obviously, I want to grow and one day not sit at the counter always. Yeah. Like, this past week with the kids are on break, I worked, like, 85 hours or something. Holy shit. That's just a lot of time just sitting there, you know? Mm-hmm. But I have a, I have a new laptop, so a lot of times I'm working on the editing this stuff. I'm, like, glancing this way as if you could see, like, I'm, I'm at my home computer, so I, I'm exporting, like, six things right now. Holy shit. Well, cause I, well, yeah, because I do. I export the audio for the podcast and the video for YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I just like 
hustled through it. I just did three today, and I queued them all up so they would be exporting while I'd be sitting here talking to you, just trying to double up on work time, you know? Hell yeah. That's the way to go. Um, yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Are you doing them um, every day? Uh, last week I kind of was, but the goal, my goal, I want to do, I want to be under four hours a week, but mm-hmm. I think I'll probably be committing about four to six hours a week to these podcasts, mm-hmm. but not, but like collectively and not every single day. I haven't done any of my, my personal podcast, the Wrench Life ones yet, because those are longer format and they require more work, but I want to be able to sit down like on one weekday morning. Uh-huh. And, and do like four and then you know, just change my hat or change my shirt or something and then export them all that same day while I'm sitting at the counter at work and then have them scheduled and synchronize the YouTube publishing and the uh, blog RSS publishing also it just drops like every other day or whatever so I only have to only like maybe four to six hours but only one day a week actually working on the content yeah damn that's crazy so uh, Wrench Life is going to be like a separate personal podcast? You know, Wrench Life was supposed to be, um, initially it was going to, I wanted to get into health coaching. I was going to do this whole um, health coaching program through the Cresser Institute, mm-hmm. but it's actually really, really expensive. Rightfully so, because it, it really is the future of medicine mm-hmm. and health. Uh but it's like, okay, it's expensive. Because it's mostly aimed for people that work in that field already. And I obviously don't work in the healthcare field or anything like that. So I was like, ah, maybe I'll just uh, just kind of do some health coaching with what I know already. Just try to help. Because I want to help people in yeah. general. And then I started working on my philosophy. And it ended up being like, you know, like the Charlie meme or like just that general thing where it's like you have the the board of all the pictures and the string is connecting all the things yeah like like i started outlining for this philosophy i because it's it's based on all these different intersections between mental and physical health like i feel like a mad scientist trying to find this like loose formula that would be the starting point uh and it's just so complicated and that's why the podcasts are going to be hard because it's complicated i don't have it all figured out so i think the podcast is going to be kind of a forum where I could kind of work through those ideas and kind of like give them to people and hopefully help them and get some feedback on them before I get to the point where I work one-on-one with people. Mm-hmm. I actually had to read all these books. Like in order to get into the health coaching program I wanted to do, I had to read these books first and pass tests on the books to even apply to the program. Wow. So I read all the books and I went, it's funny, I, I never put this much effort into anything in schooling in my life ever <laughs> not even not, not i didn't give a fuck in school right like i swear swearing's fine here yeah yeah totally fine here as long as you're cool with it i'm yeah. cool with it yeah i didn't give a fuck about school <laughs> and, then, and then i'm like going through this book about it's a really great book uh, it's called the um got it, it has two titles it was first published as your personal paleo code hmm. and then because that's more accurate to what it is. And then it was republished later as The Paleo Cure. It sounds nicer. Mm-hmm. But it's a really, um, it's not like a novel at all. It's very dense. Like it's almost like an encyclopedia about micronutrition and food and lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. But I went through it and I was like putting post-it notes on the pages and writing notes so I can go back on important things, you know. And I never, I never dedicated a fraction of that effort into anything in any of my, even when I went to college, I didn't give a shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I have, it paid off because when I sat down a year later to kind of go over all that stuff and start working on my philosophy, like I had tagged all the pages and all the information that I thought was most poignant, which really helped. Hmm. Shit, let's uh, let's put a pin in that and go back in time and yeah, yeah. Where did you uh, where did you ascend from? Where did you crawl out of? <laughs> like my mother's vagina. No, uh, I met you in Rochester, but you know your story begins before that. Oh yeah, Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how far back do you want to go here? I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring like a, a regular Joe uh, vibe to the podcast realm because everybody else has like an industry tie or is sponsored by somebody mm-hmm. or something. So I wanted to be like the person that could maybe be like a little bit more of an unbiased approach mm-hmm. to things. Um, Graham, yeah, we, 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 go ahead. I missed I missed you when you you moved away because you're one of those people that uh, you could talk about something and really get into the nuance of, you know, something as simple as where people's feet are relative to the way they roll out. <laughs> or, like, or even like upper body English in, in rollouts, you know, or verse, you know. Oh, yeah. And I, I've had a couple of friends over the years like that, and it's always great because I love talking and breaking things down. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, that's another reason why I wanted to uh, bring you on. I want to have you on a bunch if you're cool with it because – um, just, just from getting to know you, I know that you're not the, you're not the kind of person to just say, just go along with the flow. If you disagree with something like, like you're going to yeah. let somebody know, like, that's like my favorite thing about having the skate park. And mm-hmm. like, I don't want to say it's working. I'm not, it's definitely not successful. Like I need more years to say it's successful, but it's definitely working mm-hmm. and it like solidifies my stance all my st- prior stances which were never 100% right but I always felt like I was in the right like everyone else does and I had there was always feuds and bickering and drama in the BMX scene and it's always like I always like well fuck you because one day you'll be gone and I'm still gonna be here mm-hmm. like that was always in my head like one day either you know you're not gonna ride or you know or you're gonna no longer be in that position within the industry to not give too many specific details to, yeah. you know, I don't want to you know, make it too obvious yeah. but I was like one, one day they'll be gone and I'll, I'll still be here and it's only been like I've had the skate park for two years mm-hmm. so you know any of the drama I had people three years ago five years ago seven years ago any of that dumb bike stuff it's like most of those people don't ride anymore mm-hmm. but, you know they got they had a kid or they got fat or who knows whatever it's like oh, I'm man. still here I'm with the kids every single day, like trying to get people riding, trying to get people to not stop riding, you know? Yeah. A strong breeze can just settle up a bunch of people from riding. Just, I don't know. People just fall off out of the blue. Like I always called it as I saw it. And it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, call it as you see it, stick to your guns, you know, I'm here. It's, it's worked, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. And, and, and I think your story is, is one that, um, I really look up to, and I, I really learned a lot from you. So I, I figured maybe we could do talk a little bit about where you came from. Like, um, yeah. um, I know that when I met you, you were, I think you were working for planet bike at that time. Like, or you were just about to move up or something, but, uh, planet bike was a place that you, you worked at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a bike shop. Because you moved to Rochester right before me, right? Yeah. We were a month apart. Yeah. Yeah, so I was at Planet Bike for like seven years, and that was well. I to try to make it short. I was I always rode or whatever. Mm-hmm. I worked at Toys R Us 
like forever ago, seasonal, hired, hired seasonally, you know, and then I, uh, you know, most people at places like Toys R Us are not super competent people, uh, being that I was even competent when I was a dumb kid. Mm-hmm. I managed to stay on after the season, you know, after they, they go from having like a hundred employees to like 20 employees in like two weeks and they kept me on. Then the, the bike builder had a nervous breakdown, like literally nervous breakdown and left. It was like <laughs> ridiculous. It was wow. like, dude, you work at Toys R Us. So then I started building the bike. I ran the whole backside. I, w- I did customer pickups in the trucks and, and, and built all the bikes. Then one of my dad's friends owned a bike shop and he was like, what are you doing? And like building bikes, Toys R Us. And he's like, well, you want to try the real thing? And I was like, fuck yeah. So I worked for him for a summer, and he fired me. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then I was unemployed for a little while. And then Dan Deal of uh-huh. uh, LFS, or Deprived Child at the time, he was working at one of the Planet Bikes, and he, he got me in to Planet Bike. Nice. <laughs> and then I was there for, it seems like forever, man. I, mm. I got that job as a kid, and I left as still a kid, but more towards an adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did a, I- lot, did a lot at Planet Bike. I learned a lot. Yeah, that's where you kind of like learned all the little ins and outs of working on bikes in general. Well, yeah, that's one side of it. The other thing is, they, you learn more from your bad bosses than your good bosses. <laughs> so, two of the things I, I learned there, the most important one was like the guy they wanted didn't really treat people with a lot of respect. He's kind of a dick. Hmm. I mean, I ran, I basically ran his shop for him, hmm. and I got like you know eight fifty an hour, eight seventy five an hour, something like that. Worked. 50 hours a week for seven years for that you know yeah um and he did a lot of sketchy under the table stuff so i saw i saw how sketchy he he ran his shit i saw how he didn't plan seasonally and i saw um generally just how he didn't treat people well so Mm. that like those are like the foundations of how i run my business are opposite that it's like i do everything by the books Mm. i don't do any sketchy shit I pay a CPA for my taxes. I pay a payroll company to do it. Like, I want to sleep at night. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, and I, yeah, it's too much. Lot, yeah. Dude, that shit, I don't know how that, that guy or anyone that runs business is sketchy, like, pays under the table. Like, when that shit comes up to bite you, it's like, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I want to sleep at night. I pay my, th- I, I look at it like, you have to pay to play. Yeah. And the rules that are there are the rules. And you play by the rules and you perform as good as you can perform within those rules to where other business owners are like, I'm just going to try to bend the rules so I can make more money. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great tactic. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably is if you only care about money. <laughs> but then the other thing is, I tr- the few employees I have, I treat, I, I like to think I treat them exceptionally well because people want when, when you when you feel respected at work, mm-hmm. you, you perform so much better. Yeah. You you want to be happy to get to work. You want your boss to be nice to you, and you want to be treated with respect. And you're going to do your job well because you're doing it for a person that like gives a shit about you, not like some asshole that's trying to rip you off. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it seemed like you started to get a little disgruntled there, and then the opportunity came to move to Rochester. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's funny. You do work at a job. Everyone's always like, "I want to quit. I'm leaving." You know. Yeah. Everyone always says that shit. And everyone that ever worked at the shop was always like, I, want, I could run my own shop. I could do it better. And I'd always be like, fuck you. You couldn't. <laughs> like you're, you're so in, you don't know where to begin, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't either, but I had a better idea than they did. Uh, <laughs> but I'd come to Rochester a lot. I visited like every summer to ride the spots are uh, really 
freaking dope. Mm-hmm. And um, Sean Sealer, remember Sealer, right? Yeah. He uh, he was working at Rasp. I think he was kind of like most of the shifts working and, them. And Rasp is the acronym for Rochester Action Sports Park. Just for anyone yeah. that didn't know, before we keep going. <laughs> I just had uh, I just had Blaze on my podcast today. We talked about Rasp for like an hour. Oh shit! It's kind of kind of ironic. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they were like, yeah, they're looking for some help, and I was ready to get out. Uh, it kind of lined up pretty good, so I came up here. I think I came up for the Squash It premiere or something. No, that was later. I moved at that point. Yeah, but I basically came up and I interviewed with those guys at the skate park, and they, you know, they said basically, we have a skate park, and we admit we don't know what we're doing, and we need help, and you are more or less running a shop, so help us not go out of business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. And I went back to find a bike, and I was like, yo, I'm out, bitch. <laughs> so I basically, wherever fit in my car, fit in my car. And I actually, I came up for the squash it premiere, and that's when I moved up. Wow. And it was funny, because at Planet Bike, it's crazy. The boss never really liked me. He never really trusted me. But he also let me, he trusted me with his money, but not like, I never had a key to the, to the, to the bike shop. Like, the even though I was the only person that was ever in time, I'd always be sitting at the back door waiting for whoever asshole had the key. He would trust. I did preseason orders with like with Fit and Kink. Like I could order, you know, sure, thirty five bikes. Mm-hmm. He's like thirty five bikes, is a lot of freaking money, and he, yeah. he would trust me to do major big ordering. Like I knew his credit card number off the top of my head. He was fine with that, but not fine with me having a key. Weird. And then I moved to Rochester where I was actually in charge. I had the key. I was running the show. They gave they gave me two uh, ships with sealer. Opened the clothes with sealer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, cool, go. <laughs> that was, two ships at a skate park. And they're like, all right, now it's all you. And, I, and like for the first two weeks, I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and then I had far less control running rasp as the actual manager than i did at the other at the bike shop when i was not actually titled anything hmm. why is that oh uh, one of the owners was kind of anal and they i don't know, they just i get it because i'm a business like i'm an owner manager now so like letting someone make a decision with your business and your money is is pretty difficult yeah you know? yeah but they, you know, that was it. They wouldn't let me do anything, and they wouldn't really, um, they didn't really even answer the text messages when there were decisions that needed to be made, which was super weird. Mm-hmm. But that's that's actually how it fell apart. It's because after a while mm-hmm. of me asking the two owners in a group chat, "Hey, this happened. What should we do?" No answer. So after you know maybe six months or so, I decided I was like, "Well, I'm going to make the best decision." in my opinion, which is technically what they paid me for anyway. And then that was all fine and dandy until one thing rubbed the owner wrong, and then it became like a power struggle. Mm. Not Blaze's dad, the other owner, Tony. Mm. And then, uh, so then it came to a head and things yeah, went... they fired me. They got rid of you. Yeah. So, so they, you move up, you move across state lines... To manage a skate park, and after X amount of time, they're kind of like, "Hey, see you later." Yeah, um, like it wasn't exactly working, and mm-hmm. 
by saying it, working it is like my my presence wasn't making a measurable difference. Not that they had a metric to measure it because they never kept the books. Mm. They never they didn't keep any books, which is crazy. Never, no books. I know, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they wouldn't let me change anything, obviously there'd be no impact of me being there. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, quote had to let me go. And then, uh, then uh, the skin kind of hits the pavement, and you had to kind of keep it going somehow. That was a rough. That was rough. Rochester, moving to Rochester was honestly really rough. Like we were pretty, we were pretty good friends then. Like I was in, I was in really rough shape back then. Let's 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 quick talk about when we first met, um, because I I find it funny because like you know you ride you ride a new place you meet new people. You exchange numbers, yada yada. You were the first person that I ever met that was like, I was like, hey man, can I get your number? We'll meet up late, meet up sometime in session. You're like, eh, I'll see you around. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. That's some <laughs> me shit. <laughs> it was just, you know, funny times. Yeah, I, I generally conduct, like, uh, I usually stay at a distance with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, as we warm up, I get there. Yeah. And, that general philosophy for me is like if say we met and you were like dude let's fucking ride and shit and I was like all like pumped and was like yeah great cool that's awesome I'm like you know basically projected like that fake facade a lot of people put up where they're just friendly and cool and then all of a sudden it turns out you're annoying and I don't like you it's like well then what do I do like if I stop answering your texts or stop wanting to ride with you you obviously know something is up with me right because well, why was he nice and friendly and cool with me? But now he's not. Mm-hmm. But if I if I stay at a distance and, and slowly feel you out, we kind of nurture uh, a, a some relationship that will grow, and I, and, and it could stay at the how close we get would be dependent on how close we actually get. Right. So like some people don't like me because I, I I come off cold in the beginning because. The way I see it, if I have no reason to really be super friendly with you, why would I waste my energy on that? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's something I kind of learned from you because I'm—I was always a person that was kind of bubbly and nice to everybody, and I was like, I, you know, I took a feather out of your hat, and I was like, oh, like this is the real, this is really how shit is, you know? It, and that sort of thing is so counter to most of BMX culture because it's—it's all who you know and who you blow. It's like everyone's <laughs> fucking licking people's buttholes because they think they were gonna get them published in a, in a magazine and you know fast forward five years no magazines even exist yeah right yeah it's like i one of the things i was discontent not yet yeah, discontent in jersey with was that like i was doing photo i was pretty decent at it mm-hmm. i like thought that that was something i was gonna get into hindsight great move because there's no magazines left right yeah um <laughs> but like you know regardless of the quality of the photography or the video people that were close close friends with me would just bail to film with or shoot with some other guy that just had the connection because mm. they because they just wanted the exposure they wanted to, everyone to see how good they were at riding they and you know being the guy and that's doing you did the yeah my thing it's like you were put taking your friends and you're putting them up on the pedestal so everyone else could see them you know yeah and then when people started getting a little coverage some people got big heads some people, you know, and then they leave you behind and they don't want to acknowledge. Maybe they don't actually realize how much that you or I or any one of those guys that did whatever crew it was did it. They yeah. don't want to 
they, they probably chances are they probably don't really realize it because I don't. Most people are generally pretty nice, and mm-hmm. I, as I'm getting older, a lot of my old friends will be like they come back and we'll talk and we'll be like, oh, that was so sick what we were doing, you know. Yeah. They're not saying I'm sorry or I realized this, but I can tell that they see something now that they weren't seeing at the time. Mm-hmm. Dude, how many? Like, I got a bunch of my friends. I only published a couple times, but I got a couple of my friends in magazines, you know? Yeah. I got a couple of my friends, you know, through the videos we did, we got a couple of guys hooked up and got them some free bike parts and everything. And, like, I'm super proud of that, you know? Yeah. Um, where, when I met you, you are you were already, like, full swing into the, the Breaking Free. Like, you were a couple of DVDs deep. Can you explain to everybody what that was and, and what you got going on with it? Like, that's what the skate park is named after. It's... It's yeah. like a movement of yours. You know, Breaking Free was just like, we had a crew in Jersey when we were younger. Uh, my buddy Tom Molyneux. Mm. Tom, oh, God, I don't know, Charlie Horse. Um, Tom made our first two DVDs, and he kind of went off the deep end a little bit. He liked partying, and then, you know, that was his prerogative then. Mm. And so there was always the counter crew in our area. I don't mean counter like we were opposed to each other, but it was like what what is now LFS. It was Deprived Child back in the day with Daroba and Ella, uh, Dan Deal, Ascenza, a couple of those guys. And I was watching the way they were filming and the pressure they put upon themselves. Like, mm-hmm. there's always a status trick in BMX, you know, whether it's like, <laughs> you know, right now it, we're probably just getting past it, but like the like the backwards like ice little baby grind 180 thing is like that was like a flavor of the week trick there's always status tricks you know <laughs> and watching people sweating like oh if you do a video part like you gotta switch hanger or rail you, you gotta like there's all these things you know yeah and uh my buddy Irk we were leaving uh Sayreville skate park in Jersey one random day we went there every day so mm-hmm. and we were like why don't we just make our own video and then we'll just not go by other people's rules like I'll film it and produce it, but each rider, you set your own standards, and we'll work with you to help you kind of, like, give you advice. No, don't do that. Do this. You know you know how it goes, right? Yeah. Everyone, I'd be like, let's make, I was like, let's, like, break free from that, like, status quo BMX. And it was, it's, it's a pretty good story, because ironically, at that time, on my iPod, on Shuffle, uh, the Gorilla Biscuit song, Breaking Free, was on. And I was just like, dude, that's it. I'm like, that's what we're going to call it. And then, so we called it Breaking Free. And then uh, the first video that Tom made was called Gutter Rats. Mm-hmm. So my first video, which is crazy because my first video was a DVD. Wow. Like, I mean, like, like <laughs> I put, like, two things on Vimeo, just kind of, like, figured out the software. But I just went straight to DVD, like, wow. full, full send, you know? Did you have, like, chapter markers and everything? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, we called it GR2 because it was Gutter Rats 2. So we kind of like, I tried, in the beginning, I, Tom, who made the last video, we really f- fell out with each other mm. uh, dramatically. Uh, but by the time the DVD was done, I thought calling it GR2, playing homage to where we came from, made sense. A lot of sense. And in fact, Tom ended up having a section in the video because once we started talking again, mm-hmm. you know, we were filming. Yeah. And that's all just dumb girl drama uh, from back. Dumb girl bike drama. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. So then Breaking Free 1 eventually came out 
happened. Yeah, so, so yeah, Breaking Free One was, was GR two. Okay. Uh, and that was like two thousand six, seven, somewhere around there. Wow. Because, yeah, maybe in two thousand eight. Maybe I filmed in two thousand seven, released in two thousand eight. Did PQ have a part? Yeah, that yeah that part Tacman part's amazing. Wow. That's my pride and joy, dude. I like from the beginning. I was just like Pat's Pat's part in that DVD was like this is gonna be the section. Oh right. I yeah. like I knew the song early on, and, I, and like when I edit, I usually pick the songs early on, and I like play it in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'll sit at home and I'll watch the clips, and just like just keep playing the song and the clips in my head. And then when I'm filming someone riding, I'm like hearing that song, mm-hmm. like and yeah. putting it all together. And you know, Pat, you know, shout out to Pat. He was so ahead of his time with the grind combinations he was doing. Yeah. And, and I was really focusing from a filming standpoint, standpoint, making his riding look not quite as slow as it was. Mm. I'm, I'm just as guilty as riding slow as what as Pat. <laughs> so like just you know either the, the way you swing around when they get the clip and all those things that play into it yeah so like you can uh, your filming approach can maybe add some more motion to the shot and whatnot yeah, yeah that's that's one of the things a lot of r- riders don't realize why you need to have dedicated filmers because the rider I've gone through this over and over again with so many people it's like in their head they see their riding a certain way hmm. and they want it um, like projected a certain way but the filmer is like, the filmers are like, you're artists. They're really, most filmers are actually artists. They, they're, they're seeing Matt Smith ride and they're seeing the way you do the tricks that you do. And they're like, oh, dude, I got to show this aspect of his riding because this is what's unique to him. Right, yeah. And that's in line with, with the, like the breaking free kind of thinking. But then riders get a little, they, sometimes they get a big head and they're like, don't film it like this. Film it like that because I want you to see that I'm doing this. And you're like, yo, trust the filmer. Like, <laughs> Especially when it comes to raw, like, East Coast street filming. It's like mm. the trick is a relationship between the spot, the rider, and how it's filmed. Like, and the best clip might not, the best filming of the clip might not be the best filming of the trick, but it's somewhere between the best filming of the spot and the trick, you know? Yeah. Spot justice. Now it's just like throw your iPhone on a tripod and, like, you don't even need friends. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not joking. I own a skate park. People people come to the skate park by themselves <laughs> with a phone and a full size tripod, and they ride by themselves to film their Instagram edit, and that's that's riding. Wow, that's, that's crazy. not uncommon. That's putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Yeah. Wow. I'm not. Oh. My exports were done. Oh, nice. Um, I'm not just a grumpy BMX old BMX guy when I say BMX used to be cooler because mm. the community like the riding is certainly better now the bike parts are better than ever uh, the brands are probably stronger and more well run than ever but that sense of community having that crew of riders with the filmer and the photo guy and everyone together like that's that's hurting mm-hmm. everyone's kind of really, isolated yeah you just go to the skate park and you hey hey little scooter kid Yo, can you film this for me real quick? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you take and you take 35 tries to film something mediocre. And you put it on Instagram, yo, chill, just chill clip, dude. <laughs> and you just fucking lying, trying to trying to extract more credit from your clip than it deserves. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's why I texted you the other day and, and told you I missed you because I was just, I'm, 
I'm getting a new uh, bike set up here and I'm getting all stoked to ride. And I was just thinking of, I just like naturally like started thinking of who I wanted to ride with. And oh, it's like, hell yeah. like fellow right foot forward, you know, two peg rider, Dave Rafa, you know, like. I've been riding switch pegs for like three months now. Oh. Only, the old Edwin only switch pegs. Oh. And it was like, it was like having blue balls for a while because you just like, I just want to, instinctively, I just want to ice pick everything all the time, you know, and I can't. And switch, switch ices are, that's a, that's a different animal, you know. Right. But it's after like, you know, two months, two and a half months of that, I'm getting like a whole, like doing different lines, doing different tricks, getting comfortable with that switch peg. It's been fun. Nice. I, uh, I ran four pegs for a little bit, uh, at one point in my life and then, I clipped my back foot looping out a couple oh, times yeah. and then I went to three peg and then I went back to no peg or back to two pegs. But, um, uh, over what? my tenure of riding, tenure, not 10 years, tenure, my mm-hmm. tenure of riding, I've done, I've been three pegs most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's Four right. here and there, two a little bit when I was younger. But after my first video, I think every part, almost every part I've ever had has been three pegs. And I did like two with four. In one of Josh Josh's uh, videos, I was four pegs. Sick. Now, okay, so you're making these breaking free videos. You get picked up from Planet Bike. You get transplanted to Rochester. And then, um, when did the Rock Bottom DVD start? Um, yeah, so when I moved to Rochester, I was... Um, in the middle of one project and that was uh the just break free 2013 mix mm-hmm. mixtape so that was like that was divided ge- ge- geographically so the first the first two sections was like jersey philly and the second half was rochester yeah and then as soon as i finished that you you know go as you finish one project and you just go right to the next one because what else are you gonna do you're like what am i gonna ride and not film you know yeah so i do now it's wonderful but are you a jingling something over there I don't think so. Are you hearing jingling? Yeah. I like, thought you had like a jink something in your hands that you were jingling around like you're fidgeting. No, well, I might just fit, be. I, I'm Italian. I talk with my hands a lot. I might just be fidgeting. That might be what it is. Do it again. No. I no, I don't know what it was. Whatever. Okay. Sorry. Back yeah, to the rock, rock bottom DVD. Rock bottom was like. That wasn't the name initially. It was supposed to be called Welcome to the Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be a scene video, a traditional old school scene video, just like strong emphasis on the on the, the seat. Oh, I think it's like 90% Rochester. If you take out the friend section, had a lot of out-of-towners, it's like 90, probably above 90% Rochester footage. Mm-hmm. And there's so much great street to offer there. pretty much seemed like everyone was going through a bunch of crap that year and, and that's why it turned into rock bottom like yeah <laughs> like, yeah you left right you got your whole thing there yeah I love, you know, everybody was going through that. the shits <laughs> you know nick uh nick spath like he what do you hurt his neck i think that year mm-hmm. and then cork had uh, his his crohn's disease flare up yeah it's almost was like a shout out to like I was like super depressed back then like I was in really really not good shape and like I kind of it was almost like poetic how the video ended up being like this 
big thing in my head and then it's like everyone was hurt or, or like it just ended up being a mess a bunch of misfits <laughs> you know it's probably my best section it's like long, long as shit but it was like I moved to a new it's so easy to film when you move to a new city because there's yeah. so many setups and everything yeah um, I wanted to I wanted to take a second to point out that like you moved to Rochester I think a month before me and I was just you know getting uh, getting used to moving around the whole city and everything and I watched you kind of really take take fucking life by the balls and you like you, you were like all right we're going spot searching we're going over here we're gonna go check this out bring the camera like totally gun ho and, and I I don't know if I was like the way I was handling it I just wanted to hide away <laughs> in the apartment but it was like you were like no we're going this place and I'm like all right let's go and then we ended up you know filming a bunch and getting a lot of shit well you made that dvd happen for me though like being the guy that's putting it together it's hard to have a a really decent section because it's like you're asking your buddies that aren't filmers to film you you know and then (laughs) because my riding isn't particularly fast you know Mm -hmm. slower riding usually requires a good filmer to make it look not so painfully slow Mm mm-hmm but you being around for that made, made my section certainly a lot better. And Nick, you know, Nick was a decent filmer as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I remember I used to always think, why the fuck doesn't Matt want to come out? He always wanted to be home chilling. <laughs> but I'm like the other way. I like, I'm kind of naturally would be kind of like the way you are, but I'm mm-hmm. like constantly fighting with myself to just make sure I go out and go out and do stuff. Cause it's like, I have like this fear that, you know, every time you stay in, mm-hmm. you're more likely to stay in. You know, and it's like a positive feedback loop. So I just like, also, I was pretty much drunk all the time then, so it was a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) I used to like, it's crazy, I used to love going to those Thursday night pub jar dance party things, and it was like, I would never do that now. I'd be like, too many people, too loud. (laughs) Yeah. Rochester's dope, dude, though. Yeah. The city's so cool. I feel like, um, after my situation ended, I learned more about Rochester during while I was unemployed than I did the whole time I was working in Rochester. Like, all of a sudden, Uncle Nate, a.k.a. Uncle Dad, uh, <laughs> you know, I started hanging out with him a bunch more, and, and he started showing, like, you know, that dude knows about, about a lot of stuff all around oh, town. Yeah. And so it was just, we went to High Falls, we went to Low Falls, checking everything yep. out. It was so cool. Like, Rochester, especially like the summer months where it's like hot as shit everywhere else it's like fucking perfectly beautiful oh yeah i'm a huge fan of rochester man yeah oh shit what oh it says poor connection but i thought you hung up no i'm there i'm here weird okay so it's rock bottom just for context rock bottom was um 2014 Uh uh-huh yeah, and we released it in 2015. That's one of those things. One of the, I always say that I do a lot of stuff, and I don't I don't do it all well, but I do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the I did three premieres for Rock Bottom. One at RAS, which was great. Uh, I think we did one at Fifty Fifty Skate Park. That was pretty good turnout because we we paired up with another bigger video. Mm-hmm. And then I did one at Marshall Street, and like literally no one showed up. Like, I bought a keg of beer at the bar, so anyone that came to the DVD premiere could just drink on the on the, on my tab. Yeah. 
no one showed up. Wow. What the I, had, you know, I, had a, I had a contest this uh, last month that no one showed up for. Like, whatever. <laughs> wow. I mean, failing, you know, you don't fail if you don't try. Yeah, for sure. Like, you never, you never not get clips. Like, you'll never not get the clip. Wait, hold on. <laughs> you'll, ne- you'll never not get the clip if you don't try to get the clip. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, that's kind of like the the thought process I, I put into, like, bringing the camera with. It's like, the, you're not filling up the clip, Nick Basket, if you're not bringing out the camera, you know? You... And we're back. Yeah. I, pa- I paused my, the President's Day one. I fucked up real bad. And then I talked about how I fucked up. And then in editing, I took it out because I'm dyslexic. And I was supposed to say... 1826 I said 1862 <laughs> and then like it was at the end it was at the culmination of the whole thing when they it's the 50th anniversary of the signing of the declaration yeah uh, so like that's the worst thing to fuck up in the whole podcast so I like ended up just cutting out the whole section so it just has a weird there's a weird cut where two sentences seem a little weird but yeah. that's the only edit I've done and I said fuck once and I blocked it out <laughs> no, I, said, I said asshole yeah, I did the first my first podcast with someone today. Mm-hmm. And it's, I I think when you're with someone and you're going back and forth, being the interviewer, you go and you you got to kind of keep that thing on the rails, you know, not to go too far off, you know. Yeah, which I'm sure I'm just guilty of everything I say. <laughs> Yo, for me, I had to like keep editing out weird sidebar stories. But where were we? Uh, we were talking about the Rock Bottom DVD. You said it was. Yeah. Um, you said it was like your favorite section of your of yourself because I was able to help you film so you didn't have so much uh, well, bro cam, I guess. Yeah, bro cam is the term, yeah. Uh, I think my probably my best section is definitely in Josh's video hmm. because he's like a great filmer. Oh my God, he's amazing. But in terms of my own projects and in terms of... I think Rock Bottom is probably my best section riding-wise. Mm. But there's just so many new setups. It's so easy to, you know, tricks I had done before. I'm like, oh, I could do that trick again on this setup, you know? Oh, it's yeah. Like, it, it's easy to get those clips. But there's a lot of clips in that video, you know, I'm pretty, pretty pumped on. Like, I felt I felt so a part of it, and it was such a good time. I, I remember that clip where, I, oh, it was right before I left that where I fell down like belly slid down those big concrete steps somehow and I bent my fingers in oh Oh, yeah at high falls that that was yeah and then you put that in the intro like that was definitely rock bottom right there for me Mm. (laughs) I was like ah yeah there's a there's a lot of elements there's a lot in that video like all those audio clips like there's specific reasons that all like every one of those things is tied in like the, the idea of rock bottom is throughout throughout it. Like that intro is trying to like hint to that, you know. Yeah, it's it seems like like nothing you do is haphazard and everything you do is thought out. It's both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely both. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's I mean, every every video you do, you got to get better, you know. And yeah. The after all of that, I did breaking free seven. That was like 2015, 16. That video is like 
there's a lot in that video as well. Mm-hmm. I really got into it with the audio and how it was overlapping. And even in Rock Bottom, there's a lot of audio that goes left to right speaker that no one ever notices. Mm-hmm. Not unless they're watching with headphones in. Yeah, Breaking Free, Breaking Free 7, it, in my opinion, is, is a conceptual video because it has all the... Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that video because we're still talking about Rock Bottom. But I didn't even know 7 came out. What's What was 7? Did I miss this? Seven starts uh, with uh, Ian Mackay of Minor Threat talking, and there's some time-lapse stuff. Oh. Cork, Cork has the really good section in that one. Oh, wow. I think I did watch it, but I need to, I think I need to rewatch it. Yeah, you're in it. You, you have the first clip in it. What? The first actual riding clip, I believe, is you. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. The manual to slant wall to manual 180 on that night. Sun was out. Oh my god, that clip, dude. I forgot about that. That clip is so good. Like, <laughs> H- HPX, bright sunny day. Oh yeah, dude. That camera's oh, yeah. awesome. Shout out that camera. Got yeah. Behind me. I forgot about, forgot about that video on my bed. Um, so that also happened, but that was after I had moved away. And yeah. I, was, I was up visiting when I got that clip. But, yeah. um... But um, one thing I wanted to touch base on, and I, I don't I don't mean to harp on it. We can definitely move past it. Was that um, yeah. like when when the skate park um, gave you the boot, you had to make ends meet, and you had to do what you needed to do. And I think you said you were working two jobs. Well, I pretty much always worked two jobs because I was working. I always worked at the bike shop in Brockport, mm-hmm. and I even worked it there up until. The skate park was open for almost the... Well, the skate park had... I started doing it in September of 2016. I opened in December. But I was still working at the bike shop until July of 2017. So I almost I almost had a year of owning my own business while still working a second job. Wow. Yeah, but I worked at a bike shop, another bike shop. I worked at two shops at one point after RASP. And then I worked in a machine shop for a little while. Yeah. Just... Yeah, what are you gonna do? Not pay your bills? Like, I think it's your hair touching the mic. By the way, oh, I can hear it now. I can tell what it is. Yeah, I'll just get that out of the way for you. <laughs> so you worked. You had to work at two different places. I've pretty much always had two jobs. My whole life, I almost always. If I wasn't doing like fifty something plus hours at one job, I had a second job. Mm-hmm. And. um but you were, but I don't know how much I, I want to unpack it. But when when I got the boot, I just immediately hightailed it home. Where as for you, when you got the boot, you stayed and you dug your heels in and you figured it out. And now you're fucking reigning supreme. Uh, you know. I don't. I don't know if I would, if I would paint the picture so pretty. Uh, <laughs> I was. Like I said, I was in a rough place, and and that losing that job like really was not good for me. Yeah, yeah. And I was pretty much stuck. Like I couldn't go back to Jersey. Like right. I had nothing to go back to. Like like my brothers were you know in jail or on drugs, and my mom was a mess, and my dad had moved to Florida. Um, I actively looked at places in Jersey all the time. You can't get a place to live anywhere in Jersey for less than like 1200 bucks, even the shittiest one bedroom, anything like it just, 
it was not financially possible to mm-hmm. do it. And I wasn't going to go, like, couch surfing for a while. Mm-hmm. That was really tough. That was, like, really, really tough. I mean, like, so there was a, a long period there where I pretty much didn't want to be alive. I was, like, super depressed. Like, I was just, like, drunk all the time and just didn't give a fuck just working and drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never talked about it back then. I was pretty good at just keeping it under wraps. I wasn't, like, you know... That's a whole other conversation about like mental health and everything. Yeah, but you uh, you kind of pulled yourself from the flames a little bit, and the the self-efficacy kind of grew. Well, we were even when you were around still, we were doing like some art projects, you know, drawing those um, mail cards and everything. Yeah, I was super depressed, and I was just battling it nonstop, and in in a not in a passive way like I'm going to do things that are mentally gratifying you know just little progression oriented things Mm -hmm. like just create some little piece of art I'm proud of you know get the clips go to work just try to not because you feel when you're depressed you just feel like empty and hollow and like nothing matters and I was just trying to like shoehorn some some this matters into my life any way I could because it was always my uh, mindset was and still is and it is the mindset you should have if you're depressed is that it's a temporary thing that doesn't go away on its own it goes away when you when you push it out the back door and it's going to be a fight mm-hmm. and I'm not one for losing fights I've never <laughs> been in a real fight but I'm like you, you put a challenge in front of me and it, uh, I'm, not, I'm not one to lose yeah and that's then that's not a that's not like a self compliment like that is just as much a curse as it is a blessing you easily get caught up too much in something and put way too much effort into something that doesn't matter and all of a sudden it's like three months later and you're like no one cares you're level 30 in Pokemon Go (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse the positive attributes I mean yeah one of the things that owning a business did is it allowed me to take it allowed me to see the youth the utility in organizing my time and energy into progressive ways. Because, like I said, I literally was level 30 before Pokemon Go. I played so much Pokemon Go. Like, I, like, analyzed the game and, like, systematically was playing and was, like, researching it. And it's like, for what? (laughs) For absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like, I always had that kind of, like, energy. And, like, now I just do it on things that are going to benefit me more than like I have seven Gengar (laughs) finally got a a Charizard yeah (laughs) so so now you own a skate park how did how did that happen well I left Rasp they fired me Uh, then they tried to give the park back not to me but I was I'm on the Friends of the Rock City Skate Park nonprofit. Mm -hmm. they Ed, the owner I didn't get along with kind of just faded away, like pretty much a couple months after he fired me, which is ridiculous. Mm. Then Ed tried to give the skate park to the nonprofit I was on. We actually, public didn't know. I'm not actually technically allowed to say this, but I don't give a shit in this. No one's going to hear this. Hey, you'll be be able to listen to this and and approve it if you want. Whatever, I don't care. Basically, we disbanded as a board, and it was just three of us, 
and then we were pursuing that project and then because of some grant language we could not do it mm-hmm. because something with the Tony Hawk Foundation actually so then that bailed and then the RCP got back together like that's not super incriminating for me to say that but the public it was never public knowledge that the group disbanded for a period of time mm-hmm. so then I came back to Ed and I was like listen Ed you're gonna fire whoever's working for you now you're gonna take me back uh, and we're gonna figure this shit out like I'll keep your books and after a year we'll see if I can come up with a plan that will help you get out and get me in and it was like great and then I started working there again and he's like hey funny story um you know, we, we have this issue <laughs> uh we never did uh income taxes <laughs> and I was like I was like what this year and he goes um ever wow and I was like get the fuck out <laughs> and nope that was it so the business had <sighs> he took me back without letting me know these things that since I had gone the debt had ballooned they had a six figure debt and they never paid income tax so the business was completely worthless and it was I was back where I was great dead end yeah and then eventually the, uh, they got evicted wow. and then you know that is my story that makes me sound like a badass but it wasn't really me at all it was all uh, Jaden's dad Jeff I just went to Jeff and I was like what the hell do I do uh-huh. and he's like well you've been keeping the books so you need a plan this is how you should break down your books this way or whatever and then let me see it we'll go from there and I was like okay he's like call me next week and then like you know went home and did it and called him in the morning Yeah. I was like I did it I didn't sleep now what you know and then he looked at it, he goes, all right, cool, this and that. Now you need to compile, you know, all of the expenses. So he just walked me through the whole process, just giving me homework. So put together, yeah. So the debt, did you, did the debt carry over to you at this no. point? Or does so it? Basically, like, what happened was, this is not my, this is not my intelligence. This is literally all Jeff. Mm-hmm. It was all Jeff steering the ship and me doing the homework. You know, in order to settle, like in order for Buckingham Properties to want to settle with RASP, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, for them to be in a, a position of, um, like obviously RASP has to get out of the way, right? Yeah. And for RASP to get out of the way, Buckingham needs to be, you know, confident that RASP can get out of the way. You know, they don't want to be like... Was Buckingham the bank? Buckingham Properties owns the building. Okay. So, basically, we put together a business plan. I gave a... God, it's crazy. Dude. I gave a, um, like a... Uh, what do you call it? Like, I got up in front of the, the, the director of leasing, the CFO, and the property manager of this, like, fucking billion, multi-million dollar company and gave them and, like, presented my plan to them. It was absolutely terrifying. Wow. And... Boof, and- boof. Go ahead. This is before talking about the debt. So basically, we sold the property company on my plan that had you know real data and numbers and projections and like this is how it'll work and this is how it's all broken down. You know, we led with my 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 history of my experience and my credit score because obviously the big concern there was RASP never paid their rent. You know. So, so. Um. Fuck! I just forgot it. No. Okay. The business plan. 
how far out did you have to come up with the business plan? Like how many, how, like, was it a year long business plan, a five year business plan? It was a three year. Well, it was like a five year plan, but it had three years of projections. Mm-hmm. And part of the plan was a six month strategic plan from signing of lease to opening as well. Mm-hmm. Basically, you, I, you, we needed to show them that one, I was going to pay my bills, and two, that like I was going to pay my bills. This is the problem. <laughs> yeah. And and they bought it. They they were in. So then, because Buckingham was like, "All right, I know after I settle the debt with this tenant, we have someone ready to come right in behind them." So that allowed that put Rasp in a good position for negotiation, and I, I basically negotiated on behalf of Rasp. Mm-hmm. So we lowballed the shit out of them, like like laughably lowballed them, mm-hmm. and they were like, "All right, meet us halfway," and we're like, "Come down a little bit more." <laughs> and that's what they did. And also, it's, yeah, well, I was jumping around there a little bit. Yeah, so what Buckingham ended up doing was, <clears throat> on paper, what it says is Rasp was evicted, and then I purchased the assets from Buckingham Properties. So we went back. They agreed on the deal and the numbers, and then we planned a closing party thing. And I told, I told Mike, I'm raising ten grand. I'm doing it. So we did like a bake sale and a barbecue and a raffle, and we liquidated the stock, sold off the rentals, like everything. And I, I made ten thousand dollars Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Holy that went, shit! Yeah. Like, wow. it was big. It was, like, it was like a party, dude. Like, everyone was there. King came in. They did, like, the um, balloon game for, like, donations. We took pieces of plywood and stenciled Raspin Peace, cut them up, gave, you know, sold those. We had T-shirts made, the Raspin Peace shirts. Like, we went in, man. Wow. We One family came in. They were making crepes outside the back door for, like, uh, like a $2 donation. <laughs> so so that ten grand went to offset the debt. Mm-hmm. Um then what Buckingham said was just like incredibly gracious they were like how about this you guys decide what you think the assets are worth right and then we'll take that money and put it toward the debt which is like they could have been like fuck you we'll take your money and fuck you we'll take your money but they were like alright so then you know Ed and I negotiated you know what everything was worth mm-hmm. so essentially on that day whatever October, no, it was August 16th, I think. Basically, we did this big fundraiser. We closed the doors, locked them up. Because they were evicted, uh, Buckingham changed the locks. And then I have a piece of paper saying, as of this date, everything inside that space belongs to me, and that Buckingham holds no lease or claim on that. Everything, whatever parts were there, the ramps, the tools, like literally anything. Wow. All of it. So that went toward the debt. The 10 grand I raised went toward the debt. And we settled for like a super reasonable number. So those guys walked away from, you know, accruing a six figure debt, paying less than, probably less than 20% out of pocket, maybe even less than 15% of it out of pocket. Wow. Which is crazy. Like run your business into the ground, rack up that sort of debt, and then to get away with that. Wow, yeah. yeah. 
That's so crazy. And, but, and then we we went in there. We tore the place to the, down, to the ground. We tore every single thing apart except for the resi and then rebuilt the whole place mm-hmm. in like three months. Holy shit. Yeah, I remember seeing some of the uh, status pictures you were posting of the process. It's crazy, dude. Yeah. I was in there before I signed the lease. They changed the lock on the front door, but not the, the second, like the side door. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, w- I wasn't supposed to be in there, but, t- like, I was basically in there every single night, either with Nate or by myself, just tearing ramps apart because, like, if it worked out, I needed to get that head start because you, you yeah. had to be open by December, you know. And, and if you remember, the initial flyers I had made said, uh, said um, see you in November, and I didn't even open until mid-December. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then you even had a, you had like a ball shipped from somewhere? We got that shit. We didn't ship it, dude. That's we, um, oh, you got, yeah, you guys went and got it. Yeah, we were initially. I was gonna pay someone to do it, and they kept dicking me around. Mm. I think they were just a little uncomfortable. It was an industrial mover, and just like every other realm, like no one knows what skate parks are. <laughs> like I sent him pictures of the, of the, and he was probably had no clue what the hell they were. And then one of my, one of the families that were volunteering, were basically this guy. What was his name? Esther. I can't remember his name. Whatever. He was. He, he said, "Well, why don't we go get him?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, uh, can we do that? And he's like, yeah, I got two landscaping trailers. Like, why not? Okay. So then we got another one of our volunteers to bring their truck. So we had two pickup trucks, two landscaping trailers. We drove out to Syracuse, got most of the pieces, took like two trips on the Friday, two trips on the Saturday, two trips on the Sunday. Wow. No, not two trips. Well, no. Two truck, one trip, two co- two truckloads on a Friday and a Saturday, and then one truck on the Sunday. Then the bowl corners were massive, like they're eight yeah. by eight by eight, like yeah. probably like twelve hundred pounds. So then you remember um, John Bechtold? Yeah. So his dad does like a construction company, and one of his dad's close friends is an industrial mover. Like he moves like those crazy like. 80 foot long eye beams you know like crazy shit hmm. so he said call this guy hey I'm so and so I know so and so this is what I'm trying to do you interested and he's like oh you know you know uh, uh, you know Bechtel I got you covered dude you know <laughs> right okay. wow. you know, being nice to people pays off you know <laughs> so this guy he's like where Syracuse he's like okay I'm driving up from Jersey on on uh, on, on Friday I can meet you there and I was like ah so like it was like probably like Wednesday so I like called a bunch of people like can, can you do this can we make this work he pulls up in this low boy tractor trailer uh, luckily in Syracuse we had access to a forklift mm. and we just forklifted these gigantic bowl corners that's one two three four five six bowl corners onto this truck and then the guy ratchets him down drives to the skate park we loaded them by hand in those big bay doors out front like 12 people like alright everyone lift up lean it back rotate a little bit like some Egyptians (laughs) yeah for real dude and then the guy was like super pumped on it like the truck driver guy and he was like "Ah, whatever give me like 200 bucks and I was like what the fuck I was like you want a beer dude yeah holy shit he, he moved all those pieces from Syracuse to Rochester 
like on two days notice for 200 bucks and a Jenny. Wow. That's like the most Rochester thing you ever heard, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember seeing the pictures and like, it was like uh, a huge deal. Like you weren't sure if it was going to fit through certain passageways and shit too, or something like that. Yeah, because there was a a sprinkler line right in front of the door. Mm. And code, the building code for the line is eight feet. So whoever put it in was like, all right, we'll put it exactly at eight feet. Even though it's so ridiculously dumb, those are big loading dock bay doors. If anyone ever wanted to use that space for to use those loading docks, you'd have to redo the sprinkler lines. And then redoing the sprinkler lines means turning off the pipes, which means... Uh, contacting the fire department like it's a big deal it was a really dumb decision for what, for putting the pipes like that because they didn't want to go like up and over and around the door wow really silly jeez but we got them in you know that's Ten, crazy like 10 12 people yeah that shit's nuts um and I haven't been up since you've taken the reins over I don't think so I'd like to come up and check it all out sometime soon you haven't been to the my skate park I don't think I have since since you took it over. Maybe once. Maybe once. When did you? When was the last time you were up? I can't even remember. I remember riding with PQ um, one time up there, but I think I still lived there at that time. So yeah, it's it's a hazy spot. Oh wow! I dude, definitely never crazy. ridden the bowl. Yeah, you need that. You probably haven't been there. Yeah, because you got. Crazy. Cause I remember when you were putting the jump box line in, I was like, "Oh shit, that looks really fun! I want to try all that." Like, so nope. yeah, I definitely would remember. Huh? I just worked on the box jumps last week. It's like technically we're on the fourth version of the box jump line in two and two and a half years now. Damn, so everything's just—it's getting... not even the same park as when I opened. We've changed so many ramps already, you know. It's just getting more and more dialed in. Well, a lot of the ramps were like we weren't building it from scratch we were reusing pieces of ramps mm-hmm. so sometimes the, the 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 transition or the height or the width was kind of just dictated by the fact that well that's what we have mm-hmm. so we've been going through and, and tweaking those things to make it work better and not everything I've done has made it better and some of the things made things worse but mm. you'll learn I guess yeah takes a while it seems um now, how long have you had the business now? Well, uh, the how long has it I got been? the space and the LLC in September of 2016. Mm-hmm. I opened December of 2016. So two two years, two months, I've been open. Awesome. And you seem like you've been really interested in other things as well, other than writing. Like uh, you really delved into history a little bit i remember you were i think you were telling me about susan b anthony or something like that like all kinds of stuff like you just just started soaking up more information i love history History awesome i think my goal in life is to be part of history like yeah i want to i want you know like if, you know, if you're, your kids remember you, right? And then, like, your grandkids might, but then that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the people you interact with, chances are they're not going to tell your kids about you. You know, like, if you really want to have a lasting effect on the world at large or your community or whatever, you got to really, like, you got to do it. You can't half ass it. 
asset, you know, and that's really what I'm aiming for. Like, I genuinely, like, I actually want to make the world a better place. Like, I want to be on, like, the Wikipedia page for Rochester, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, like, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm aiming for, you know? So, I love history, and I love people that, that did, made it, that changed the world despite diversity. And mm-hmm. it, 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 obviously, I can extract a lot of motivation from that. Like you just listen to the Jefferson thing. Yeah. Like Jefferson's the man. Um, he lost everything. Like he had like seven kids. They all fucking died. Like his wife died. Like every like he lost. He was went into debt. He sold. He had to sell everything he had. His um his library at Monticello became the the foundation, the core that started the Library of Congress. He had to sell all of his books just to not go into debt. And then still, when he died, he was like 100 grand in debt. And 100 grand of debt in 1826 is a lot of money now. Yeah. The only reason they didn't take his house is because it was fucking Jefferson. With the, the, the bankers in the common be like, sorry, dude. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. That's so crazy. Same I... thing. Teddy Roosevelt's safe. Actually, right behind me, you probably can't see, but right there. Yeah. The top portrait is uh, Teddy Roosevelt. The second portrait is excuse me, Anthony. The third portrait is uh, is Thomas Jefferson. Like every day, right there. <laughs> I did have the Constitution and and, and the uh, Declaration of Independence in here, but I moved them into the studio. But this is like, this is epic, man. You got to think. You got to think on an existential plane if you want to do things that are more than mundane. You know. That's a good point. Like. You, you just seem so self-motivated. Like, you don't have cable, right? Like, you just... Like, you come home and you read a book. Like... I have trouble reading because I'm, like, dyslexic, but I've, I'm pretty much always listening to a podcast or an audiobook. So now you, you switched over to audiobooks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I used to read a lot, and it was, like, such a struggle to learn how to be able to focus, like, and read. This is one of the re- One of the things I'm adamant about is that, like, ADD... Like, it's not real. Like, it's real as it's a definable list of characteristics. But it's not like you don't catch ADD. ADD is a, is a variance in, in how your attention works. Mm-hmm. And, like, it makes perfect sense if you look at how nature works. Like, if you had more energy, it's obviously going to be harder to control. Right. It's just how everything is, you know? And I, Matt, in the last two and a half years, I've really managed to get to get my ducks in a row and keep my energy in the right places mm-hmm. it's like reading was so fucking hard for me and if I stopped reading for a couple months like after I stopped the skate park after I built the skate park I obviously wasn't reading because I had literally zero time yeah. once I tried to start reading again it was like I had no attention for reading anymore mm-hmm. and it wasn't like in the time of building the skate park I was like watching TV or I was doing nothing but work was, right so so, like, for me, it's, it's, if I listen to it, I retain it. Yeah. I can digest it. I actually listen to audiobooks at, like, one and a half speed. Oh. You listen, listen on them faster. But I can't listen to an audiobook or a lecture if I'm not, like, I've realized I need a certain amount of meditative time. Mm-hmm. It's so, like, I'll go out to ride, and I'll start to listen to something, and then my, my mind keeps wandering, right? Yeah. And that's like that's like everyone's like, oh, I have ADD because I can't focus, you know. Well, I've learned through the meditative space I found in riding that if I spend enough time thinking about the things that are on my mind, it just like 
simmers. It goes from a boil down to a nice simmer. Mm-hmm. And then, I'm like, then I could listen to an audiobook and just listen to it, and my mind doesn't wander because, like, you got you got to like the analogy I always use is like it's, I'm sitting at my desk and my desk is a fucking disaster. <laughs> That's what my brain is like. It's mm-hmm. like it's, it's a it's a there's there's mail here. There's peanut butter. There's the fork from yesterday. There's three bandanas. It's like. Every once in a while, you gotta okay. The bandanas go there. Let me open this mail. That's junk. This goes in my filing cabinet. There, like that's what meditative space is like. It's getting all your thoughts where they need to be. Yeah. And they're not like knocking on your door while you're trying to like trying to listen to an audiobook and like everyone's banging on the doors. It's like, yeah. You yeah. gotta like you have to face the things in life you need to face if you think you're gonna have leisure time. Yeah, I I totally agree, and and that's something I've I've explored since. Uh, since living up there is meditating a little bit um i've done it here and there and i've felt it work but i haven't gotten into a full habit of it but i was listening to a podcast today with this guy um he used to do this podcast called the daily zen and he was on uh duncan trussell's podcast i don't know if, if you ever heard of him he's just a hilarious funny dude but um he had the Daily Zen dude on and he was talking about, you know, all all things Zen, which, you know, I don't know much about at all. But he was explaining um, he was explaining like your your inner dialogue, like it's it's a torture you kind of give to yourself kind of thing. Like um, he's like, I think his example was if you were just just talking all day nonstop you would eventually just feel so exhausted like but you are doing that via social media or something you know like almost like just there's a balance to it and i'm probably butchering the shit out of it but if you get bored that dude yeah he he has i used to listen to his podcast and they were really good but then he stopped so then i was like oh man where'd he go but it was really positive positive stuff and it and I think, yeah, you gotta let your, you kind of have to let the dust settle for you to even see oh, where, where the next move is. Yeah, it's so huge. Like, I don't even understand how. Like, I understand how people could just like sit there and binge watch Netflix because it's easy. You don't have. You just look the other way. You keep distracted. Like mm-hmm. the same way people go from like one relationship partner to one relationship partner and never analyze why the relationship fell apart they just never look at it so it's like out of sight out of mind but yeah. that that is obviously putting a stress on your life like all like not that i'm i'm pretty secular i don't i don't i'm not one of faith but mm-hmm. I, I think there's probably a correlation between how the rates of anxiety and depression are so high and people don't seem to have a very strong faith and it doesn't have to be a faith in, in a god just a faith in like that there's a purpose that there's a reason or there's some sort of thing you're aiming for, not just like people. You know, social media exacerbates that. You know, it's like you're striving only for this shallow social validation and you're, you know, you're working for the weekend. Yeah. You hate, you work a job you hate. You know, what's that quote? Is that, is that a fight club? Is like work jobs we hate to buy things we don't need or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's uh, the meditative space is just crazy. It's just it's it's life changing for sure. 
Yeah, it's it's just crazy that if you try even a little bit, what I noticed, I didn't. I, I didn't get I'm no I'm no fucking sane over here. What I if anything what I did is when I, what I noticed when I sat quiet with my thoughts is I I heard how loud and how fucking insane your brain is when you just take a second to sit there. And that was scary enough to you know try and make meditation more of a thing because it's like just doing anything like if I don't. I try and look at it like, oh, if I didn't get to meditate today, what else can I do today that makes sure that I don't, you know, overwork myself, get too cranky or get too flustered. Like, like, um, I do stretches every morning and every night before, and before I go to bed and right when I wake up, cause I have to now for my shoulder, but it also makes me feel good when I'm at work later. And I know I already did my, my little shoulder workout for the day. So, you know, I did something for me before I start doing stuff for other people kind of thing. Well, that's a, like, that's in my, the, the, like the health philosophy I'm working on. It's, it's called the, the catch line is it's progression based health. It's, it's that sort of thing. It's like, what do you, what are you aiming for? Yeah. What are you aiming for this week, next year, in five years? Like the fact that you, you know, you're keeping yourself committed. I'm going to stretch every morning. Mm-hmm. That's that little hit of serotonin. Like, oh, you did something that's working toward a goal that's making your life better. When you make your life better, you make the people around you, you make their life better as well. Yeah. You should look into um, uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist. He has this thing called, um, oh, what's the word for it? It's uh, individuation, the process of individuation. There's a YouTube channel called Academy of Ideas. Mm-hmm. That it's like bite-sized psychology lectures. They're all like about ten minutes. They're, they're dense. You have to pay attention to them. But there's a playlist about young and and um, individuation. And it's about like how there's different parts of you and how you have to like realize that you you, know, you kind of suck, but you have to incorporate the parts of you that are awful. It's kind of like um, I think the, the the easy example is like stealing or like uh, maybe like like um, like stealing or rape or something like that where it's like you're capable of that always you know some people will be like oh I could never it's bullshit it's like you don't really believe you might tell yourself you're a good person but you don't really know you're a good person and so you've grappled with the idea that if you wanted to you could do that it's completely within your capability but you are not that but you know that there's a part of you that could do that, mm-hmm. but you never would do that. And you get, you don't really know that you're like a good that you're that good a person until you've played those little um, you played out in your head. You know, like I could do that. Yeah. I could have stole that. Like I could, yeah, you know, I run my business in a respectful manner. But I know I could pay people under the table, and I could just filter out cash. You know, I know I'm perfectly capable of that. Mm-hmm. But I don't. People just don't want to grapple with that sort of thing. Like, they're like they don't want to think about what it's like when their parents die. You know, they're like, "Oh, I don't want to think about it." It's mm-hmm. Like, and then what happens? It happens. And yeah. then you're, you're useless. Yeah. Like, I've been through so much bullshit in my life. It's like, what do you want to be? The, the the person that's so distraught that like your siblings have to like take care of it, or do you want to be the person that when the shit gets going you pick up the torch and run with it you know yeah 
Your pa- do you, do you have your, what's your deal? Do you have your parents still? Do you not know your dad or something? What's uh, the deal with I, Yeah, I still have my parents. Oh, yeah, that's, there's something about your parent dying that, like, really makes you an adult. Mm-hmm. It's, like, really, re- like, because, like, essentially, I'm, like, the patriarch of my family now because my dad's gone. Although my brother's kicking ass and he's pretty much right there with me now. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you could always call your mom, you could always call your dad, you know. My mom is kind of, like, so, you know messed up or whatever that she I can't really call her for something or depend on her for anything you know mm-hmm. but she's still there but when all of a sudden it's like you can't call dad like there's no safety net it's not and it's not even like a financial safety net like something bothers you like you call your mom or your dad and you're like oh my god I got this shit going on in my life and like once that's gone it's like oh shit yeah what do you do yeah, it, um, I think I, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about that before, um, where, you know, you basically, if you want to know how strong you are mentally, you got to start thinking of things you don't want to think about in order to prepare yourself for something yeah. like that if it comes along. Like, well, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Today I went out to the, up to the great, like, we're a crazy windstorm today and, like, ice. It's, like, gnarly up there. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to go walk out on the pier, you know. I posted some pictures on Instagram earlier from that. Yeah. And, like, I, like, walked out. Like, it's ice on the lake. And then, because the storm's so gnarly, there's, like, this, like, probably 12-foot-tall pile of ice that just gets to one side and then just drops off into the water. And I was like, oh, I want to get up on top of that to get this angle of this picture, you know? And, you know, I analyzed the terrain and I looked at it and I was like, okay, what if I fall in? Oh. And I played, you play that out in your head. Like, you get, like... A lot of people wouldn't do that, mm-hmm. but that's how life is. You have to be like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Let me yeah. play that out in my head. So then when it happens, I'm like, oh, wait, I've thought about this. Yeah. Except um, for today, if anything bad happened, I would probably just really drown. <laughs> with, the, with these temperatures, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you It was gnarly. We had like sustained 25-mile-an-hour winds, and it's like, I think, like 20 degrees. Damn, it's it was pretty windy up here. It was blowing me around on the highway. But a lot of that, shit, a lot of that mentality I have came from BMX. Like, if you're gonna try a trick, especially a trick that's pushing the limits, mm-hmm. where there's a risk, it's like, well, you think about it. If I'm gonna grind this rail, well, what happens if I lean too far and I go over the side? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I push the bike this way and I'd aim to miss that bush. Whatever it is, you know, like yeah. Think BMX sports, these types of sports treat, train you, they teach you things that are deep in psychology. Mm-hmm. Like it's right there. So then when, when I got into psychology and stuff, I was like, oh shit, this is what it's, it's like. Oh, this is why battling that trick for an hour feels so good when you get it. You know? Right. <laughs> this is why when you're sore the next day, you're like, I got it, you know? Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's like a a mental strength. I'm, I mean, like, um, I I do this thing for myself every day, where as soon as I wake up or as soon as I get into work, I make a list of stuff I need to do as soon as I get off of work, which is like a short sighted yet responsible approach. Um, 
but then I started every once in a while I like make a list of shit I don't want to think about and then I'm like that's the shit then you should immediately think about it. Yeah, exactly. I made a list of shit I need, I don't want to do or shit I don't want to handle. Like, oh, my car needs new tires or, oh, my car's shitty. I need a new car. And it's like, I don't want to think about it because I can't think of, I can't think of a possible solution just yet. So I'm going to go over here and keep thinking about yeah shirts, you know, and I will, it, um, it, some people call it maladaptive where like, you know, you're trying to adapt so hard that you you don't adapt because you, you're working on the wrong thing. Like, like it's easier for me to think about Yashik because I don't necessarily need money to do it because I make it. But then when it comes to, oh, my car needs an oil change and I can't afford it, I'm not going to think about it because I can't figure out how to... I can't do anything until payday or whatever, you know? Like, Yeah. So it's like making sure you think about stuff like... It, you're pushing yourself. There's definitely a, a, a lot of fear when you live on a paycheck to paycheck thing because that, like that, that puts like an existential threat on you mm-hmm. all the time. It's hard to not be stressed living in that sort of situation. Yeah, I mean that when I was living here and things weren't working out, like I had no safety net. You know, and it, it's like, well, what happens if my car breaks? I literally don't have the money to fix it. You know? Yeah. At least living in the city, it's like, oh, I could walk to work, I guess, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, I guess, one of the things I did want to harp on was that, like, your your mental toughness. Like, I think you were, the last time I was up, you were telling me about your motorcycle, and you are just going about, like, you had to replace something, this, that, or the other thing. Like, no matter what it is, you will learn it, and you will adapt. And I think that's just something that um, people could be inspired from. Yeah, I got that from my dad. Like, mm-hmm. we grew up on like kind of like a farmhouse kind of deal. Mm-hmm. We were not farmers; it was just an old farmhouse. Mm-hmm. But my dad just did everything. You know, there was. I didn't grow up in a family where it was like, "Oh, let's call the plumber," or "Let's we have a cleaning lady," or or any of that. It was like, I never had. I didn't have cable, or internet, or video games, or soda till I was like uh, eighth grade. Holy shit. Um, really wholesome traditional family stuff. So my dad, I saw my dad do everything. So like that, that was deeply in in my head. Like, oh, it's broken, fix it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And then uh, you know, then my parents split up, and things just fucking went to absolute hell. And then from you know, you know, freshman year of high school all the way until I left Roch- left for Rochester, it was a complete and utter shit show of just. Uh, you know, drugs and alcoholism and jail and just all kinds of just everything bad you could imagine. Tons of people dying around me. It's just awful. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, you know, then my dad died. You know, the, the only other person that was sane. So, like for me, it's like the fact that everything else was such a mess. And then my dad died. Like the one person I didn't expect to die just dropped dead. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Fuck. But. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, we just had, just had a, uh, remember Madeline? Yeah. So she just painted that mural at the skate park with my dad. Oh, and shit. She did that. Um, right on the two-year anniversary of being open, it was a Monday, so it was closed, she painted a life-size mural of that, of the photo of my dad from his obituary. I took it, that photo of him, I don't know, seven years, eight years ago at Ricketts Glen State Park. Fuck yeah. She did a 
wonderful job. It's beautiful. It looks great. It's life size. I had a little, I put a little plaque up on it this week. Huh. If it wasn't, I think if the situation came along and my dad was still here, he probably would have. Uh, he would have helped me. I would have had to get loans and everything, but mm-hmm. he was a mailman. It's not like he had a lot when he died, but I got half of, half of what he had in his retirement left over, mm-hmm. and you know whatever he had in the bank, I, I got a third of that, and then I spent all of it. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I spent everything on the skate park. Wow. That's crazy. So it's like, obviously, I'd prefer to have my dad back, but taking what he taught me and then taking what was left for me to create the thing that I have now, it's like he kind of lives on uh, with it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it seems like, it seems like now, you know, from from the time I met you to now, you know, you've you've blossomed into a person that now is at a point where you get to enrich the lives of a lot of people, um, whether it's with, you know, keeping somebody that's like a 30-something dude, keeping him on his BMX bike at the park, or if it's, you know, part of the wellness thing that you're approaching into now, like, it's it's definitely breathing life in other directions for you if, if being honest with yourself is 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 hard but it changes your life you know mm-hmm. i've been through a lot of i wanted to die for so long dude like straight up like <laughs> i was just like living in rochester just like you know I, the relationship i had a like my family sucked i had that long-term girlfriend and then she, she kind of bailed on moving with moving here with me and then we broke up because long distance is never going to work mm-hmm. and then like that just, just just shattered me and it took me years to figure out why you know I, and essentially I put all my eggs in one basket and I wasn't being honest with myself mm-hmm. and you know everything around me just kept falling apart so like eventually I had to like look honestly at myself you know yeah eventually and there's no one else around and you have to look at it and in all those meditative time I spent, like, I really fell in love with bikes again, like, mm. two years ago. And I was like, go for BMX. It was my job, mm-hmm. you know. I was like, I get to ride my mountain bike, my road bike around, have that meditative space and, like, thinking through all those parts of yourself you don't want to think through and having realizations like, oh, it's funny you mentioned Peterson. Like, I, I did a couple of his courses online, that you know, his uh, personality, uh, was it? psychology personality and behavioral psychology course i did that one. Oh shit and i did his maps and meaning one i did that like four times that's like it's like 12 two-hour lectures i went i did the whole thing like four times because it's so deep and uh transformative and then taking some of those psychological structures and some of that framework and then you know adapting it into my life and thinking through those things just like i'd be just i just it's so crazy like these things just appear in your head. Like, I'll just be riding thinking about something and it's like, holy shit. That's why I don't like that. <laughs> right. So, I do this thing all the time with people. A lot of times with the kids at the skate park, but even my friends, they'll be like, I don't want to, well, fuck that. I'm like, why? I'm like, well, I don't like it. Why? I just don't like it. Why? It's not good. Why? Like, it's just not my thing. Like, you're just telling me the same reason over and over. Like, why don't you like it? Like, do you know why you don't like the thing you don't like? you thought about that you know yeah I realized that almost everything I disliked in life and this will even this will even reflect on all, all the BMX drama that you know I was involved with 
it all comes down to decadence. Mm. I have a strong distaste for decadence. <laughs> and uh, a lot of BMX, that's all it is. They're just like, they're pumping the self, they're pumping the crap out of their ego on social media. It's just, they're just so, it's just like this decadence. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that, like, I grew up pretty poor. I didn't have a whole lot. And then, like, what little I did had completely fell apart. So I had, like, nothing, you know? All I had was a bike, you know? So I, I think deep down, like, when people don't appreciate what they have and they're just decadent, I'm just like, oh, there's nothing that cuts through me so harshly, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like almost everything that I strongly dislike, I came to the realization it always boils down to decadence. <laughs> wow. Which is interesting because, like, I'm not, again, I'm not religious, but one of the things, almost all the Christian stories, like, like I say, like, there's the, there's like the framework of, that's like whatever, but like the, all these stories that are always like, there's always a more, like, so, remember Terrell? Terrell. He worked for me at the, Black Kid Rover Bikes. He worked for me at the skate park, and he, he's not religious, he doesn't believe in God, but his mom's very religious, and he would read Bible verses with his mom every night. And, and Terrell's a fucking man. To be to be a seventeen year old kid and to respect your mom and love your mom enough to read Bible verses every night, even though you don't believe in God, could you ask for a better son? <laughs> but he would tell me the Bible stories because he liked to get my take on them. Mm-hmm. And almost all the stories, it always boils down to like decadence, like stealing or lying, or always almost always in the name of, of decadence. It's it's almost like it's something that's deeper, you know. Mm. I don't even like fucking God or religion or any of that bullshit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not super... I'm, I'm pretty secular myself as well. I, I I feel like I just kind of let let things speak to me when when they speak. Um. Yeah, yeah, my... Uh, that distaste for decadence pretty much reflects how I conduct myself. Otherwise, it's like, keep your head down and work hard. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, you mentioned Rollins earlier. It's kind of like similar to what what he says, you know. Like yeah, Rollins was the first, uh, I guess you could call it intellectual that I really obsessed about. Mm-hmm. No, the first one was Michael Pollan. I read all his books about food, and I, I hated reading so much that I um, I basically watched. I'm not even joking. I watched like every video on YouTube that Pollan was in. <laughs> Like, I read, I listened to every lecture of him talking about his books before. I was like, I guess the only thing left to do is to learn how to fucking read. Yeah. And then I, after him, I moved on to Rollins, and I watched, like, everything I could watch on Rollins. Mm. He's, he's painfully humble. That's his whole shtick. Yeah. Damn, dude. So, uh, what's, uh, what's next for you? What do you got going on now? You just started your, uh, your breaking free speech podcast, which I I really enjoyed, man. I I fuck. I, I as soon as I saw that you were doing a podcast, I was like, oh shit, Raf is doing a podcast. I wonder if it's gonna be like kind of kid oriented or not. And then I saw that they were short, and then immediately I was kind of roped in. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I wanted to do a podcast forever. I never even got into podcast until maybe two years ago. Like mm-hmm. for years, I've been like, "Oh, that's only something I would be into." I just never did it. Never did it. And I, I think we talked about it here or there. And then and you started one night, and I was just like, "Fuck, 
All right, Matt did it. Like, it this is a thing. It's doable. Let's do it. Fuck. Yeah. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, if Matt can do it. No, I mean, I was like, <laughs> like, I had all these things built up. Like, I thought about it a bunch of times, and then, like, finally the last straw was like, oh, wait, yes. All right, fuck yeah, let's do it. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, saw it. I didn't have, <laughs> don't half-ass. Mm-hmm. Got the whole studio built out. But it basically is, I'm just taking the narrative from my vlogs at the skate park and just putting it in a podcast form so it's not different than anything I was doing. It's just a little bit different format that's more convenient for me to do. Yeah, are you still going to be doing the vlogs at all? or? No. You know, you know Josh lives with me now. And he yeah. works for me. So he's doing the video content, and it's great. But it seems like at least half of our viewers are more interested in the dialogue and the narrative which is like I couldn't ask for anything better than that because I want to have an impact and, and connect with the kids mm-hmm. so you know, I'm getting you know, some views a couple hundred it's pretty good yeah. just on that. I just want to keep doing that I think I'm going to wait until I get a little bit more comfortable before I jump in on, my, on the Wrench Life podcast mm-hmm. but that's pretty much it just keep working keep doing the skate park keep I'm constantly doing stuff at the park. Like, we just re- redid the rollers. I just put up in that new skate park map at the podcast like that. We just redid all our rental decks. Like, it never ends. Like, there's, I'm always doing a project. Yeah. So I'll always have something to talk about. And it's always working toward making the business better and more efficient, you know? Yeah, and, and being able for uh, a listener to be able to hear whatever is the current thing going on with the skate park. Couldn't ask for anything cooler, really. I love it because I get new customers and I'm like, hey, go on YouTube. We vlogged the whole opening process. And it almost works out good because we just stopped pretty much shortly after I opened. Because mm-hmm. running a skate park is pretty hard. And mm-hmm. to have the time to do that sucked. Mm-hmm. It, didn't suck. it just would, it would take away from the little personal time I did have. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I, when I have new customers, I go, hey, go on my YouTube. YouTube.com slash break free skate park. Go to playlists, click on vlogs. You can follow the story of how this all started from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if, if I, you know, if I somehow manage to be one of the lucky people whose skate park makes it ten years, ten years from now, those vlogs are going to be like so awesome to have. Yeah. And I guess that's something that's in line with being like thinking bigger, thinking on an existential scale. Mm-hmm. Just dedicating time to those vlogs that early on was uh, a lot. But I got that was all John Bechtold's idea to do that. And I was like, I didn't even know, know what a vlog was. I was like, what the fuck's a vlog? <laughs> I'm so happy I'm not doing it anymore because they're so fucking stupid. <laughs> but it's good to use it. Kid, it. Yeah, kids love it. Yeah. I was, um... I was a little reluctant to post the the shoe cast because I didn't want it to seem like a vlog. But then I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I was like, uh, part of part of doing a podcast or posting a video of yourself talking is not. As soon as I mentally mentally went over the hurdle of starting a podcast, I immediately stopped taking myself so seriously, and that kind of felt freeing. Yeah. Because I was like, it really. It really ha- go ahead. It really helps once a dialogue is created. Like mm-hmm. the first couple vlogs were terrible. The first couple podcasts, I was uncomfortable. But as like the views come in, like every single time, like 
I you know, Joe Camparelli and Pat Quinn, a couple of my friends like texted me about it before I even had it. Like, oh, I saw on your Twitter that you're going to do a podcast. Like, so that made me a little uncom- a little more comfortable. And then all the kids at the skate park, like, like I publish them to go live at like four. So like sometimes the kids will be sitting at the skate park and I'll and I'm, I'm like. What, what do I hear? It sounds familiar. And I'm like, oh, it's me talking. And they're like, hey, you want to watch with me? I'm like, no. <laughs> I do not want to watch me, watch me, watch you watch me talking. Like, <laughs> but once, the, once the kids are interacting and commenting and I'm, you always want to entice people to comment because then it makes, it'll, that's what makes me more comfortable is knowing there's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like doing this with the um, FaceTime is easier because you can, because I could see you. Yeah. It's almost like you're building up uh, like an imaginary image in your head that there's actually people that are going to be listening to you. Right, yeah. It's yeah. not easy. No, not at all. Uh, I, and I, the, I looked at it, I was like, if I do something stupid, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to make fun of me? Cool. Yeah. Like, like, I am completely willing to laugh at myself. You know, like, whatever, make fun of me. I don't care. I'm just trying yeah. to do something to show people... You know, another side of BMX. Think about the implications of my actions, though. It's like I own a business, like, and I'm using this platform, my that platform, to promote my business. Like, I can't exactly say what I always want to say, and I can't just like talk shit about people, even if they deserve to be, you know, talked shit about. <laughs> right. Like you listen to the, the MSRP one, you know, and I was talking about kink a bunch in there, and obviously, like, it was kind of you know, padded up and shaped nicely with a bunch of compliments and everything. I don't know if they're ever going to hear it, but that's what I have, have to have to do it. Like, right. Think about that. Like, I can't make ridiculous jokes. Like, you know, the kind of sense of humor I have. And, and I want to say messed up things, inappropriate things. But like, I work with kids. Yeah. Like, people drop off their 12 year olds and leave them with me all day. Like, I can't make inappropriate jokes or sexual jokes or any of those things. Like, because all it takes is one mom who's really mad, who tells her friends, who goes on Facebook and blows it up. And, like, in our day and age, it's like people, like, these things go viral. and People's lives get ruined. The people get, you know? Yeah. Not saying that would happen. And it's just, like, that's something I have to navigate. Like, yeah, if my business starts to fail because something happened, it's catastrophic because, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. That's the other scary part about putting yourself out there is, you know, you, you're giving yourself enough rope to hang yourself with if you, you know, yeah. go off the wrong end. Yeah, I had a head start with the blogs, you know, and mm-hmm. like, so that's the whole Narwrench thing. Like, Narwrench is just, it's it's a persona. It's like, you know, partially me, partially the skate park. It's not exactly, it's like a more family-friendly, happy year. Like, that's why I have two Instagram accounts now. It's like... I don't want people to know that my teeth are fake. I don't want people to know what I'm doing and, and that I like to drink. It's like I have this face, this Instagram account that's like, oh, he does wholesome, healthy activities, you know. Yeah. It, it makes it a little bit easier to do it because it's like I'm, I'm consciously acting out a persona that's that's like a – it's a filtered – I'm not – it doesn't feel like I'm filtering myself. I'm just projecting like through a, through a filter. Like you know? like like through, through bumpers. <laughs> yeah. Like in bowling sense of the term, like you, I've matured a little bit. Certainly matured a good amount, but in the past, if I did something like this, I would probably just intentionally just 
shit talk all, all the people that deserve to be shit talked on in my opinion which I hold pretty highly because it's my opinion like everyone else does you know yeah but I can't do that now nor should I do it it's just it's it's immature yeah that's what I that's what I liked about that uh, that daily zen dude like just just preaching the zen kind of vibe of just thinking about stuff or like even stoicism you know like mm-hmm. thinking about it a second before you do something like I can be so yeah. reactive to stuff you know I can be emotional just like the next guy but every time I've ever like bit my tongue I've always appreciated that I did it later like mm-hmm. it sounds counterproductive like you should never bite your tongue it's like truth to matter is if you don't if you don't act re- like out of your emotions like a like a baby then you might get further you know yes yeah it's like mindfulness training you know yeah there's also like understanding that like your emotions and your feelings aren't the same thing you know mm-hmm. what you f- what you feel rolls out into different emotions and then how you handle it is a whole nother layer of it yeah i'm like the drama i had with you know some of the kink guys in rochester years ago it it, it it affects me still to this day at the business. Although it's mostly smoothed over because it's been so long. A lot of those guys don't live here anymore and it was dumb to begin with. Mm. But like, it, it followed me right into my own business. Like, even though I was very adamant and very vocal about it, like, hey, there's shit that happened in the past. It doesn't matter. It was just bikes. Like, like the person that had that beef, that had that drama, was like a kid riding his bike. I'm not that kid anymore. Like, this is me, an adult, owning a business, and I'm making decisions for the business, and I took my ego, and I put it over there. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I'm not going to say whether the other side recipro- reciprocated that or not, but... Right. You, you're, you're, you're moving towards the smarter, better decisions, no matter what, no matter what happens outside or out, around you, you know? And that's what you got to do, because as long as you know that you tried to hold up your end, that's all you can do, you know? But what I like to say is that I'm not wrong a lot, <laughs> but let me, let, me, let me unfold this, right? All right. I'm not wrong a lot because I hold my tongue if I'm not sure of what I'm saying. Like, like I choose my words carefully. Like, yeah. if I know for a fact, I'm like, yeah, it's this. And I'm like, or it's like, yeah, it might be like that. It's kind of like that. You know, so, like, I'm not wrong a lot because I don't go in on things if I, like, I, how do I say this? I'm aware of what percentage of, um, like, confidence I have in what I know is, you know, whether it's 100 or whether it's 90 or whether it's 50. Mm-hmm. But from time to time, I am wrong about things. And I love when I'm wrong because it means... I found an area I can improve on. I found something. I was navigating the world based on some fact that I thought was right, which turned out to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And like when I look back at myself, it's like the farther back I go, the more and more of those things that I conducted myself around were, ended up being wrong, you know? Right, yeah. Definitely. Especially like that, 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 that um, analogy works so great when you talk about relationships and girls. Like, like, you think about how the way you conducted yourself when you're, like, 13 years old and then 17 years old and then 20 years old, you know? Yeah. You, you should look back at that, 
the kid who you were in that relationship and be like, man, that was embarrassing. Like, yeah, the things you fought about were so fucking dumb, you know. And you didn't I'm, know any better too, because you were like thirteen. I haven't had a lot of relationships, but I've learned a lot from them by thinking, you know, thinking about everything and letting it all play out in my head and all that stuff. And I'm very happily in a relationship now, and it's a very adult mature relationship and I really couldn't ask for uh, anything better than that right now I hadn't dated anyone in like five years wow finally you you just you know have conversations up front be honest with yourself I'm honest with her like like literally we talked about expectations like that conversation like that you don't want to have I'm like well where do you want to be in six months what are you looking to have in a year? How, what, what percentage of serious are you about this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what are you looking for? What, you know, really give me, give me all the tools I need. So I know exactly what you're looking for. And I can tell you like, if I'm going to fit this and how, how well I can, you know, cause once you're older, it's harder to adjust yourself. Yeah. And I don't have a lot of time to begin with. Ah, uh, you're younger than me, aren't you? Not that much. I'm about to be 32. Oh yeah, I'm. Yeah, you're you're younger than me, but not by much. So. Yeah, yeah. but you look like a child still. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. Don't feel like a child, that's for sure. Dude, I got dentures, dude. <laughs> dude, um, and I got braces. We're <laughs> we're an odd couple right now, aren't we? Nice. But um, we should do a we should do a dental split edit. Oh God, I just found a really great dentist. I don't want to get into it right now, but they're awesome. <laughs> that's what's up. Um. One thing, big, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the advice I give all the kids, or anyone for that matter, usually the kids though, there's three, three pieces of advice, is don't ever give less than 100%, like, that's it, <clears throat> if, you mean, if you mean it, mean it, if you're not sure, don't do it, if you want to do it, do it, do it all the way, yes. never give less than 100%, number two is take every chance to travel while you're young. If your friends are like, you know, we're five and a half hours from New York City, I'm like, if, if your friends are like, yo, we want to drive down to New York City and like scoot around or bike around, just say yes. You'll yeah. never remember that you were tired the next day. You'll never remember. You'll like, just do it. If the opportunity arises and it's not like obviously a terrible idea or dangerous, do it. And the third piece of advice is take care of your teeth. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, because it, and this is how it plays out. Like, if you want to do anything with your life as you get older, you need money to be able to do it. Mm. And the best way to do that is to give it 100% of your job. There's a, I think there's a, it's like, if you do 20% more at your job, you get like 60% of returns on that. Like, it really pays to be the one guy that's willing to just stay a little bit later, try a little bit harder. So, mm. so giving it that much will give you more access to the second thing which is to travel even when you have the, the, the restrictions of being an adult and then taking care of your teeth is like you know if you have bad teeth it's fucking expensive and it's fucking painful and there's very few things people judge you for as harshly as having fucked up teeth yeah yeah um I never knew how easy I had it like okay I this is disgusting for some people, but I never flossed 
when I was younger, all the way up until I got braces. I'm, I'm 32 with fucking braces, people. Um, so I never knew how easy it was to floss until I had to try and floss with braces. And now, like, I only have braces on the top half of my teeth. So I am happy to floss the bottom half of my teeth. <laughs> so, like, I and, I and I can't wait till these braces are off because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to take care of my teeth so easily because it's going to be it's going to take no time at all to floss, you know. And I had to have like f- like five thousand dollars worth of med- uh, dental work done before they would even bother putting braces on my teeth. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, just, I know. Just uh, reiterating your point, I guess, you know, like... I can't even get braces. I don't even have front teeth. <laughs> I actually did a podcast about my teeth today. It's pretty funny. We're talking about it. Really? Yeah. So, well, are you... I, Go ahead. I sound different with my teeth in or my teeth out. Mm. And listening to the podcast, I'm trying to figure out which way I sound less stupid. Because I definitely sound stupid. It's just which way sounds less stupid. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things about the skate park and the gnar wrench, like persona is that the teeth stay in to where like for me it's like i don't have teeth it's funny because i don't give a shit yeah. on the professional side it's like i keep them in yeah so deciding to talk about my teeth in on the podcast like com- totally intersects with how that developed that character so i actually talked about that and how i have like kind of a persona and there's an image around it and there's it's just a reason for it mm-hmm um, so you're doing like multiple podcasts a day and then you're just posting them once a day? Yeah, that's the goal. You know, do like four. Upload them to publish later. Just And you just got them like uh, queued up? Yeah. Um, I use Squarespace for my website. So yeah. the blog thing, you can have them set to publish later. And I just got to upload to YouTube separately and do the same thing. And does... Go ahead. Eventually I'll probably get one of those third-party Instagram apps that will stagger out the posts to go along with it. So it's just like, just automated. And like I said in the beginning, four to six hours a week. Don't those cost like some money per month or some shit? They might. Yeah. Because uh, if I, I, I really don't care to be on, like I love seeing what fellow riders are doing and shit like that. I love keeping up with people. But I don't care to be on like, oh, I got to make a post this morning. Better get up and go make a post or put a post together or whatever. I like the idea of like whatever, whenever I have content or something I want to announce or whatever, just queue it up and then forget about it. One of the things I mentioned Carl Jung earlier, one of Carl Jung's theories is that you're not one personality. You're like a bunch of personalities. Like it's like angry you as a personality. Kind yeah. of like when you're at work. Like, the work Matt Smith is not, you know, Matt Smith, Matt Smith. And the Matt Smith who's with his girlfriend is not the same Matt Smith that's talking to me right now. Yeah, with sure. that, you understand that you're a bunch of subsets of personalities. Mm-hmm. One of the things that social media is doing to people is, it, like, you're getting lost in this one personality that's not the core personality of you. And, like, you're struggling struggling for a validation in a personality that's not, like, the real you. Wow. So... In line with that, conducting myself on social, like running a business account and then having like a business persona made that like really obvious. Like when I have content, I'm like, where am I posting this? Like now I have like, I have like eight Instagram. I don't use half of them anymore, but like, yeah, 
it's pretty much like breaking free BMX turned into I just posted BMX photos because it's like like if I posted a photo I shot on my own account it's like oh look what I did I'm you know pumping my ego if I post it on breaking free BMX my name isn't on it it's like it's more like you know nostalgic journalism you know it's not about me it's about the rider and the, and the spot and the day and all that stuff and then yeah my regular accounts are more like personal and things I'm actually doing for the family members or people like you that don't live here anymore mm-hmm. and then you know, and our wrench is that like you said it's my business persona it's it's what the kids want to interact with it's what the parents want to see so if I go out and do something I take a picture and I'm like well where does this go like when I'm in the podcast room and I'm like well do I post that on my personal account on my business account on the skate park account or the podcast account that I'm recording a podcast Right. It's easier to funnel the, the items. It makes, it makes it obvious that there's, that there should be parameters. Yes. Yeah. Why you're posting it. Um, there's this book called culture shock or present shock. I'm sorry. Present shock. Um, it's super good. I, I wouldn't mind trying to listen to it in audio form just for the sake of it. Cause I, I kind of want to, I wouldn't mind. Uh, getting into audiobooks more because I've um, reading is fun, but if I could, uh, hey, you know, you present shock. Yeah, present shock. I forget the the author's name, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it it was weird. I it was cath- it was like a cathartic read. Um, uh, with that with all that said, I don't wanna, I don't want to speak too grand of it because basic you know basically the book it tells you that you know. Uh, the the only strategy against social media and, and computers and internet is to have a strategy. Like if you don't have a strategy, then you're fucked, essentially. Yeah. And if it, whether you're aware that yeah, whether your strategy is I'm gonna post a sketch every day or I'm gonna do a handrail every month, like having a strategy immediately puts you puts the machine as your tool instead of you like this weird like swallowing personal thing yeah well people you know like in that Peterson course the um, the maps of meaning one we talk it's like all about like talks about dominance hierarchies a lot and how you're like just constant you're constantly trying to figure out where you are in relation to other people in the room mm-hmm. and I think I'm fortunate I, I kind of like was always aside from that I was always like oh you do you like Okay, I don't care, you know. But obviously, in the BMX realm, like it played a big role. But I see the kids at the skate park, and you see like the fashion trends in scootering or BMX, <laughs> and you see people jump on them. You see like who's paying attention to who, like. And this is a really good example. I've had two kids uh, get caught stealing at the skate park. Um, I could tell you that story one day. That'd be a, it's a great story how I caught the one kid. But both the kids that stole, both times. It was supreme shit, huh. a supreme hoodie and a supreme hat, and both times both kids posted them with the stolen thing on social media. <laughs> the wow. one kid I didn't see, he posted it. I hadn't, I didn't see it. I already had realized it was him before he posted it. But like, <laughs> in their in their minds, this supreme shit is like such a big piece. Like, oh, if you had it, you're high on the hierarchy. Like, it means so much that they would steal it. 
And, like, contrary to, like, any logic, they would immediately post it. Like, like when this happens at the skate park, I, I make a huge deal. Like, both times the kid that stole it were there. I confronted them face point blank. Did you take it? They told me no. They're willing to lie to my face. They're willing to lie to everyone around because getting that hoodie that says that word on it is worth worth something. I don't know. The fact that I'm not in part of that, I'm not subscribing to that, whatever that dominance hierarchy that they're playing in mm-hmm. is why I don't get it. But that, that's social media. It's like there's this hierarchy of like, how do I feel important? Where do I rank? You're seeing people projecting a false persona like everyone's everyone's life is amazing on social media my life looks amazing on social media because it fucking is bitch <laughs> no, my, life, my life is fucking dope i do cool shit all the time but i fucking work my ass off too you know yeah and people will be like people that don't work that hard will constantly talk about how they work hard because they're just trying to extract more social credit out of it you know mm-hmm. people you know, girls post shit and they're like uh look tired today yeah. It's like, you know, they're just fishing. You know, they, they're just trying to extract credit to raise that little, like, score that yeah. makes them, you know. And they don't think for a fucking second that it's, like, a biological thing. They don't think that they're, they don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. That's why I, I said, I asked people, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? <laughs> why'd you post that? Why'd you post that selfie? Like, why would you ever post a selfie? If maybe you were, maybe it was like a, a real random thing. Yeah, you're on vacation. You see a friend, like, oh, you know, Matt Smith stopped by. You know, let, you know. Yeah, it's a big, a bigger event, not something like for the <laughs> third time that day. But. It's fucking crazy. I live in that world. I have to conduct myself like a lot of my social media content. Like kids come to the skate park and they're constantly like. You know when you make an Instagram post, uh, I get the notification that, oh, is that breaking free, blah, blah, blah. And then if you edit the post, I get the notification again. Yeah. Regularly, I get those like five times. Like they post it, and then they go back and edit it. They post it, and they go back and edit it. And I don't know why they do it, if it's just like they're fixing errors, or they're adding hashtags, or if they're just, I don't know if they're actually just straight up reposting it. I've seen people... uh, I've seen people repost things like two hours later because I didn't get enough likes the first time around. Oh my god, that's the worst. It's pathetic. Um, do you know who Pete Holmes is? Pete Holmes? Yeah. Oh my god, who is that? I know that. He he's got a show on Netflix now, but he's had a podcast for a while. Um, you know Bo Burnham? Nope. Bo Burnham was like a kid. Almost like Justin Bieber, like, he uh, grew up on the internet, on YouTube. Like, he got big and made a name for himself, but he was doing, like, more comedy-style stuff. And he was on the Pete Holmes podcast. This was, like, over a year ago, maybe two years ago. If if you're interested in listening to someone, someone else's take on social media, it's really a really good listen because he's, like, just a little bit younger than us, but not so young that he's you know a little kid and but he grew up literally on youtube so he's got a different kind of like personality than than we do like the the best way to say to me to describe it is like he's been through the internet and he's back like he's 
He's already, uh, okay. you know, I don't know how else to explain it, but like, yeah. So that makes sense. Though. But he was, ex- he made a, a movie called eighth grade and that's why he was on the podcast. He was promoting the movie. Um, he had taken a step back from stand up to do this movie. And, and he, part of the point was he was basically trying to describe how shitty it is for kids and how, you know, kids are just trying to stay relevant any way they can. It's just, you know, they're just innocent kids just trying to do shit. Like, like uh, him and him and P Holmes go back and forth. They're, they're talking about like, okay, there's a chick at the pool taking a picture with her friends, like a little, you know a tween or whatever. And, um, they're like, why is she taking a selfie? Is she taking it because of this or is she taking it because of that? And they're talking about it. And, and Bo has a lot of good takes on it. I'm kind of being long winded, but, um, if you're, I, I can't tell you exactly how the conversation goes, but I just remember being like a really good one. I love that shit. Yeah. Um, but I think that's in line with what we were talking about earlier and, and how important these sports were. And, and, specifically even coming from New Jersey or the East Coast generally like having a crew that you ride with mm-hmm. is like they keep you in check it's like you're when you're with your buddies at a spot and you're riding when you land it they're like yeah dude but when you're not landing it they're like yo you'll try to do it that way yo, no no you're going too fast you know yeah and if you do get it and you don't do it good you're like nah you can't take that that's sketch dude like yeah um and being from Jersey, we're, we're especially harsh with that shit. It's like, no bullshit. And when, I, when I moved up here, people were like, dude, why are you such a dick? And I'm like, I don't know, why did you land that shitty? Your feet, why would you, why'd you land crank arms, you know? Um, so on, in the social media age where you're not actually inter- interacting with people in person, you are eliminating the people in your life that are going to give you the constructive criticism and you're only you're you're choosing to only get the likes and the comments because if you're on Instagram and you comment something like what I just said, it's like you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not gonna comment on your friend's clip and be like, yo, that second one kind of sketchy. You could have done better. Like, <laughs> then you like you just look like an asshole. Yeah. I, there's so many symptoms that play into this into the social media thing. It's scary. Yeah, and it and I think that's. I mean, especially when we were all riding together, it, that was the fun part was like, I'm making fun of each other for landing shits shitty or like, Mm -hmm. or if somebody's like, I mean, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Like, and to me that it would, (laughs) it's like the barbarian games. Let's go out every Sunday and hunt for spots with our fucking spears. (laughs) Dude, every, all the time when I'm riding. When I get a good rollout, I'm like, dude, that would have been Matt Smith approved. Yeah. When I roll out, when I do switch rollouts and roll out with my feet the the correct way, the goofy footed way, you know, so you're rolling uh, rolling out into your into your front foot or whatever. Yeah. You know, whenever I do, whenever I get that, I'm like, oh, yeah. And since I've been riding switch pegs, I've been doing a lot of switch 180s and switch footed stuff and just like playing around. So like, I'm just always thinking about where my feet are when I'm rolling out, and I'm always like, oh, yeah. Matt Smith would be pumped on this rollout. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because, like, you know, like, just, like, talking shit on anything that was sketchy, I always, one of the things I always try and do, even on a, a, a personal basis, is, like, reward uh, whatever I think is cool. Like, show appreciation for whatever 
like even if it's like if it's like the littlest thing if i'm stoked on it i want i want you to know because it's it's maybe not something everybody else cares about but i feel like i when i see something real good via bmx you know we've been riding for a while like when you see something real good you know it and so you want to you know let somebody know like maybe the whole line wasn't smooth but that last part was fucking perfect you know you gotta let them know you know i think um that the modern the current state of social media has affected the way people look at tricks and like the nuance like that Mm. where it's about the quantifiable you land in it like you don't see like we used to just talk about rollouts like yeah garrett Garrett burns changed the rollouts you know he came onto the scene chase the heart saying like kids these days are like chase the heart i don't get it (laughs) yeah no one gets it. what do you mean you don't get it it's like they just want quantifiable tricks they don't care if they ratchet cranked on the free coaster they don't care if they're fucking got jankly spokes and soft tire pressure and they landed and their fucking wheel flopped all over the place and, and it was like they looked like a fucking rag doll you know yeah they just they just care about the caption they care about the hashtag 360 with El Toro or whatever the fuck it is you know yeah but at the same time it's like everyone is if that if that person that landed it sloppy and but if they stick with it they're only like a couple years away from landing that really dialed but maybe yeah not everybody really cares to do clean stuff i guess <laughs> this shit's so whack you know what i you know i like grind combos yeah i still think i still think to this day i was the first person to do 180 smith 5k about <laughs> and that's my claim to fame i'm taking that one um <laughs> People are now like Pat Quinn was so ahead of the curve on this shit, you know. And I was I was right there, uh, and not not because of me, because I was just watching Pat do these things and I was getting all these ideas from him. And I was like, you know, there were certain things that I could bring to the table that Pat maybe wasn't. You know, I was doing like three to Smith and hard one eighty Smith like years before anyone else was doing it, and that was just because the things that worked for me did didn't always work for Pat and whatever. Mm-hmm. Now I see people trying so hard to think of new and unique grind combos or grinds that it's like it's just like silly. It's like you're, it's like '80s hair metal. Yeah. It was cool in the beginning, and by the end of it, it was like a joke. It was so overdone. The bands all sound the same. The outfits were like crazy, exaggerated. Yeah, they teased up hair and their makeup. It's like the uh, God, like Poison and Def Leppard. Like it's like Motley Crue was like badass, and then poison was kind of whatever you know <laughs> like seeing shit like yeah what was the people like the one simone did uh what he, he did ice pick drop down x up grind hard 180 and that's like an ice pick that you dropped into a double peg i don't care if you x up you just dropped an ice pick into, if your other peg doesn't come off whatever you're grinding when you go into the next grind it's like what no <laughs> where is this at where, where what video it was like it was one of his like tricks in one of those video parts. Maybe what was it? What was the um the shadow video where they had all like the ink dropping in the water? Uh, um, that was their full length. Yeah, yeah. That uh, was a great video. I'm not trying to talk shit on him. Just uh, the trick do, itself. Just like in general, like that people try are trying so hard to do these just to think of another grind that hasn't quite been done or executed and it's just like like you get some people like Benny L is dope like he does like 
he switches his cranks and does like switch for the crank arm and like he'll do like wall 180 with his both directions but his feet are changed and like he's been doing that shit forever for like a decade and then other riders it just you could just tell they're just trying really hard you know mm-hmm. like what's the thing right now like doing tabletops is like cool like people just grind a rail come off the kink and do like up like not good tabletop but it's like considered to be like a respectable trick yeah super it's super weird people doing like grind hard grind to hard 180 table and the table's like it's like a mediocre flop like all of a sudden well everyone's good at bar spin so and everyone's good at tail whips so let's just do little pancake tables well that comes down to what we what we used to talk about all the time and that's trick selection you know and and when what dictates trick selection is is taste so as soon as i see some shit like that like i immediately just kind of tune out i'm like all right like maybe they landed it clean but it was just like an uninspired it's uninspired it's what i would look at it as like unless they're doing something really sick like whatever but you know i i don't get too uptight about shit anymore like i kind of the way i look at it is like if you can the more doofy shit that is out there, then maybe the better this clean yeah. shit will look, you know? Well, the market saturation is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. It's, I always looked at, like, um, like Devin Smiley or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's, like, insanely good. He's, like, one of the best riders ever, but his, his riding always seemed to not have an individual flavor to it. Like, it just... He's, like, insanely good, but it just is, like... It seemed like it was, like... Uh, I'm going to do what Chad Gurley and Garrett Reynolds are doing and kind of mold it together. I'm going to take what all the popular people are doing and I'm going to do it all. And I'm, I'm better than them and dialed in them, but I can't come up with an original, like, shtick, you know? Yeah. And I'm not trying to talk shit on him because he's an amazing bike rider. And it's like, like, everything he does, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But it just, it's like you're doing what everyone else is doing. And you're probably doing it better, but it's still like what everyone else is doing. You know... I, I would have totally agreed with you if you would have told me that a little bit ago, but I've seen some stuff from him and I'm starting to think like his thing, like you know how people's, uh, people's flavors eventually float up. I, I started to see him as like, I, I don't know what I saw. He was like wearing yellow shoes and I remember them like being real blown up on the fish eye, like real big, but it was well, like, I, I would admit that that is a dated opinion because I do not pay attention to BMX at all. I haven't paid attention to BMX in like over two years. Like, since you got the park? Care. What was that? Since you got the park, since you've just been so busy doing everything. Yeah, I was, I was growing out of it, the politics of it. Uh, yeah. I love riding BMX more than ever, but I had to get over a hump of like, I don't care about what everyone else is doing and why they're doing it. It's like the good shit floats to the top. Yeah. I don't watch anything unless like three people I respect tell me in person or via text like yo you watch that yeah yeah like, like I, I i'll watch anything that chase the heart does <laughs> chase hawk does uh i like Corey walsh a lot and then like people that i i've met in in the past like all the food guys or you like pat any of my people i've actually met i'll watch their shit but like as far as pros go it's like eh, whatever waiting for the next slapper somebody's gonna text you about it yeah right like if, well, if someone texts me I'm like fuck I'll watch it dude well, lately I've been ever I got a, a new job 
um, uh, almost a year ago. And I, I remember tweeting this. I was like, I can't wait to get a job because I just want to be able because I wasn't making I was making fucking shit money after I left Rochester for a very long time. And it did not help my situation at all. And I got a new job about a year ago and, and, you know, the, the tourniquet kind of loosened up a little bit on me. And, um, I was, I was able to give back as soon as money started coming in. I was like, all right, every fucking, any independent BMX mag I'm buying. Like, I want to watch shit. I want to like, I, I personally went through a couple different phases. Like, I think I thought I was going to quit BMX like two different times in my life. Like, you know, you get hurt and you start thinking twice about it and, all kinds of shit can happen. And uh, I feel like I got, I got to a point now where it's like, holy fuck, I'm going to be 33. Like if anything, I need to keep moving and enjoy, like you spent your whole life learning. Like I grew up watching, you know, Mike Aiken do like three inverts over jumps thinking to myself, one day I'll learn that. And here I am, I've ridden for 20 years and I haven't learned that. Like, I still want to do some more stuff before it's too late. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to go be the next Mike Aiken at all, but I just want to improve still. So it kind of re-sparked my interest. Yeah, well, yeah, part of that might be a little bit of an unrealistic goal that I want to be Mike Aiken because he was the best fucking bike rider ever. <laughs> Damn straight. I, re- I remember being younger and being like, I'll never be able to do a turn down. Never. This trick's impossible. Like, I, I remember, like, trying it a bunch, and then, like, I was at Perth Amboy Skate Park. And I remember sitting there one night. There's no lights there, but you could kind of, it was just light enough to ride. And I remember, literally, the moment I was like, okay, it's okay, Dave. Yeah. You're never going to do turndowns. <laughs> and then I ended up doing turndowns. It's, like, one of the tricks I still do. I fucking love turndowns. Kids call it old school now. You, but you do them now, right? Yeah. I love turn down. But I can't turn down a quarter pipe, but I could turn down bunny hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was I was riding with you that kind of encouraged me to do turn downs. Like, cause I was riding for you know fifteen years at that point, or so, over a decade. I was riding at that point. I was riding rasp, and I think. It was either you or Blaze or somebody was like, yeah, you kind of like just push your sprocket right in front of you, like the the, the flyout style turn down. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely me. Yeah, and I, I remember specifically two times I clicked a turn down, and it was like, I don't even need a picture. I know I did, and that was like, holy fuck, like there's the whole BM, the whole realm of BMX is open to you. You just got to go for it. Yeah, man, totally. I mean, I still learn tricks. I still learn new stuff. I'm not going to go bigger, higher, faster. Like, it's not going out of my comfort zone in those more risky areas is not going to happen. So you're saying Some you, days you, I'm pumped up. You're saying you never got you never uh, air out any higher than when you first moved to Rochester? Uh, I definitely am the best at riding ramps I've ever been because I own a skate park. I don't really air a lot, but I probably air as good as I've ever aired. That's cool. I was just curious. Very airy. Mm. I don't know. I see Jaden riding. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. 
Fucking air. Oh, well, he fuck. floats the shit out of everything. Yeah. All that kid's crazy good. Yeah, shout out to Jaden. <laughs> you can't um, really turn down though. <laughs> he does. They just don't look good. <laughs> Damn. I'm well, sure, like, if he wanted to, he'd do the best turndowns ever because he's got enough hang time to figure it out. You know. Yeah. He'll figure it out first tee because he's just got enough time. <laughs> but um, well, thanks a lot, Dave, for um sitting down with me and doing this um the camera sh- uh cut out again like an hour ago <laughs> oh it's just frozen or is it black it, it just went to a blurry silhouette of you so i've just been pretending what you look like oh uh, how do i look um glorious like a like a blurry tinder photo oh hell yeah <laughs> but um i really appreciate you sitting down and shooting the shit with me um i think we... yeah it was quick man it was like two and a half hours mm-hmm yeah yeah, plus, like, we have a lot of history, and it's easy to talk, so... Yeah. Um, we need I was to... worried about that when you're like, oh, man, I'm like, we should probably try to keep this in a... Especially when you said you want to do a couple of them. I was like, we probably should try to keep it, like, uh, within a parameter so we don't just ramble. Yeah. Because you know me, I can talk. I love talking. Yeah, same here. I like talking because it's like thinking. <laughs> it's like... not to. Ch- I'm not trying to throw us back into it, but, like... <laughs> There's things that you think that you, like, you know, or whatever, but then, like, you don't really know it till you say it out loud. Like, mm. you could be, like, sweating something and sweating and be like, oh, maybe I'll do that. And then, like, you'll be talking to someone, you're like, hey, I think I'm going to do this. And then when it when you verbalize it, once that thing that was in your head is no longer in your head, it's been let out, you're like, it's almost like a, a little bit of a breath, and you're like, oh, oh, I get it now. Like, I am going to do that, or I am, like... Like, you might be saying, I, I fucked up on this thing in life. I fucked up on this thing in life. I fucked up on this thing in life. And then one day you're talking, you know, I'm talking to Matt Smith. And I'm like, dude, dude, I fucked up the other day. I, I just, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, it's almost like you need to verbalize it and for someone to just, like, nod and be like, for, for your own brain, for yourself to believe what you think you already believe. Like, yeah. It's like verbal like, sonar. <laughs> like, part of you is holding out what part of you knows and like it's waiting for one person to just like lean on and then like the part of you that believes it is like now strong enough to overcome that one part of you that doesn't want to admit that or whatever yeah yeah it's like picking up signs <laughs> yeah yeah this is pretty fun I'm yeah I'm do it again yeah I wanted I wanted to do one I know you uh once uh once I come up there, we'll, we'll do like a swap cast or whatever, you know? Yeah. But uh, I wanted to do one ahead of time just so that way, like, we didn't have to talk. Like, you know what I mean? So that way we can talk about even more shit the mm-hmm. next time. So. You come up anytime. Yeah, dude. Um, so Josh, um, Josh just goes back to Woodward in the summer. Mm. So I'm I, I basically going to live alone all summer. So, like you can come up anytime like well even with josh here i still have the spare bedroom the ma- i could just lay the mattress down on the ground next to the desk and the camera and i have the futon living room like you're always welcome to come up you know i'll show you a good time cook you some food hell yeah chef chef rafa thank you man <laughs> <laughs> um yeah did are the backyard ramp still going no i gave them away uh, they like just cut them up and took a bunch of pieces and left i, I plan on slowly uh, burning them just piece piece by piece just like hacking them up and burning them away hmm. 
Are you going to do, like, trails in the backyard or anything? I don't do nothing in the backyard. <laughs> one, of, one of my ideas earlier this year was that I was going to... I used to garden at home, then I moved my gardens to the skate park and box gardens. Yeah. This year I was going to try to double up and do two gardens. I don't know if I'm going to do that because I might just dedicate that time to podcasts, and I'm trying to get, like... I'm trying to ride 5,000 miles this year, so I still need, I need time for that. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. I might let my, my girlfriend garden at my house I don't know whatever oh shit where can everybody find you what, any shout outs anything like that yeah it's breaking yeah you know, it's breaking free skate parks the skate park we're on YouTube Instagram uh, no goofy shit it's all at breaking free skate park or slash breaking free skate park there's none of them that's like breaking free NY or some shit it's all at breaking free skate park the podcast is breaking free speech we're in the iTunes store or on YouTube you know all them things it'd be weird to say follow me on Narrens because I just said how it's not a real account (laughs) yeah yeah add him on Snapchat (laughs) I hardly ever use that shit anymore (laughs) yeah um cool man I'm ready to fucking go eat I'm gonna this is uh I just broke 24 hours on my fast so I'm ready for dinner holy fuck (laughs) you're a madman I did like 40 hours like two two weeks ago. Just for shits and giggles? It's good for you. Jesus. Super good for you. That long? You follow, if you want to learn about health and nutrition, you can follow me at, at Wrench Life with a Y. And it's a Y because there's nothing more important than feeling good. Is that your, your Instagram? Yeah, at Wrench Life. That's also, it's on, or that's an iTunes store too. It's, it's wrenchlife.com, Wrench Life with a Y. Oh shit. I have a website up. The website's been out for like six months. It's not really fully articulated because I don't. Um, some people have winter projects. I have summer projects because the summer is my slow season. So that's like a summer project. So. Nice. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. Do it up. But um, thanks again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. We'll go catch your sesh. Alrighty. All right, man. See ya. Later. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Shout out to Matt Steiner for audio mixing the phone call conversation, helping it sound a little bit better. He's on Instagram at plays one on TV. Give him a holler if you need some audio work. Next week on the podcast is going to be John Vazo. John Vazo is an old roommate of mine, and he's a fucking steez lord on a bike. That's all I can say. Um, I'm super jealous of his bike riding, and I wish I could ride like him. So uh, we're going to talk. We're going to shoot the shit. I'm going to ask him how I can get high, and uh, hopefully he can uh, give me some pointers on how to uh, fucking leave the ground. All right, that's next week on Different Spokes. Peace.